Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 40 coming at you. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is Monday, December 13th. Uh, it's about 8.30 at night. And Alex, again, we're still in the lockout mode of the offseason. Uh, not really too, not, not much news coming this week uh, since our last recording. Uh, a couple of international signings, um, low-key, Freddie Galvis going to play in Korea. Uh, D Gordon, you know, D Gordon, ex Dodger and Marlin, he got signed to a minor league deal. And then I guess the biggest news, Alex, would be that Verlander signing that was kind of on a two week hiatus for the last part of the uh, MLB offseason before the lockout. There wasn't really a signing in place. And then finally, it's been uh, official that he has finally, you know, the terms have finally been agreed to. It is all good to go. He will be an Astro for the next, I think it's one, maybe two years. I think it's one year and then a player option. So okay. if okay. he's not like elite, he'll probably pick that up. Yeah. And I'm guessing he'll probably stay with the Astros, you know, with them being so good. Um, feels like a World Series or a deep ALCS appearance every single year. Uh, why wouldn't you want to stay on a winning team that's going to have a really good shot? So, uh, I mean, it's kind of surprising that some of these players have to settle for this kind of stuff. Like yeah. uh, D Gordon, you know. I haven't seen his you know, numbers in a while. I know he's kind of bounced around in the minors a bit, but it's kind of interesting. He's not going to even wait to kind of see what his market looks like. Uh, Galvis, it's a really big shortstop market, but he's just going to say, you know what, I'm just going to go to Japan, East, you know, the, what do you call it? The, uh, you know, the across the Pacific and KBO it's called. Uh, that's the Korean league. He's one of the, he's one of the Japan. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I mean, just that fact that he's not even going to wait to see what happens after the lockout is kind of interesting, but you know, I guess some players just say, hey, there's some guaranteed money in the table. He's probably going to have good stats over there, so good yeah. for Yeah, and I know uh, Adam Jones is still playing over there. Ex-Oriole uh, is uh, doing, I think, really well over there. And he, I think his, him and his family really like it, so uh, it's an opportunity for them to play baseball, and they don't have to go through this whole lockout uh, right. you know, shenanigans. So uh, good for them. Uh, good for at least Verlander getting uh, somewhat, you know, I guess paid for – somewhat of an old guy uh, yeah. still getting the money not the scherzer money but he's still getting the money um and he's already said that he wants to pitch till he's 45 if his, if his body lets him so he could be like that nolan ryan type guy where he could literally get a three-year contract in the next two years or something like that but uh that's really everything that's been happening so far um alex again today we are doing the all mlb teams uh another chapter of our series for this one this will be the al east this week um a very daunting division, if you would say the least. The past 100-plus years has seen some excellent players. Yeah, superstars. Yeah, all-time so greats. It'll be a fun episode. Um, you know, going back, of course, when we look at the AL West, you know, most of those teams started up within the last, you know, 50 to 60 years. The AL Central, everyone started up, I feel like, in 1901. Some teams moved, but a lot of them were, you know, going at it. AL East is another kind of same same story where every team is almost 100 years old. A lot of history uh, in this division. So 
Let's kick it off, Alex. We again will start with the New York Yankees, the 27 World Series champion New York Yankees. Um, a America, little, America's team, yeah. Exactly. A, a little brief history. Yankees have been around for 119 years, started out in 1903 as the New York Highlanders, uh, played with as the Highlanders until 1912, and then changed the name to the Yankees in 1913 and have been them ever since. So uh, I'm sure everyone in, you know, not even a baseball fan, a sports fan, even if you're not even a sports fan, you've heard of the New York Yankees. Right. Uh, they are probably America's team when, when you consider all sports. Uh, they've been around the longest and they've just been the top tier of, you know, success, successful franchises in history. But uh, Alex, we will start again with the catcher position, work our way down all the way to the DH spot, give five starting pitchers and, of course, the ninth inning closer for the all franchise team. But let's again start with the catcher, Alex. Uh, I'll go first this week. I know you started last week. Pretty easy pick for me. Yogi Berra. Mm-hmm. Um just the epitome of a champion. Uh, I think he has 10 rings. Mm-hmm. Most, and most of any player. He is a complete winner. I think he has three MVPs in those as well. Has a ton of top three and two MVP place finishes. So he, of course, is uh, a pretty slam dunk pick for me. I think our list, Alex, at least our team, will, I think, be very, very accurate this week. The very, Yankees, very similar, the, yeah. The Yankees are a top-tier organization where you know every position position has a you know elite performer but who do you got for catcher yeah i also have yogi Berra, travis i will say um even though we both probably we think yogi we sorry we think yankees catcher yogi comes to mind immediately and it, it makes a lot of sense there are a couple they have had many like several good catchers in their Definitely. history um thurman munson travis is only like one point something uh, behind Barrett in terms of war seven which Folks, that's just like your best seven seasons add up your war. And pretty much saying Munson's prime is almost on par with Barra. Does yep. not have the championship, uh, same pedigree, but still was a, you know, good guy in the postseason. Um, you know, has rings, but just not, you know, not 10. 10, and, 10 is a different standard. And, and I think he, did, did he pass away during his career? He, he I, did. Yeah. I think he only played like 10 or 11 seasons, which he was on track to be a Hall of Famer, but just didn't get enough, you know, those counting stats. I'm sure someday I think Veterans Committee or someone like that will put him in. Um, Travis, Jorge Basada, another like someone who we grew up watching and at the time might not have thought he was like this elite presence, but a really good overall career war is over 40. So he definitely had to get at least a thought. Um, and then uh, there's still one more guy who I think deserves real consideration, and that's Bill Dickey. Bill who, Dickey, yep. He's uh, an older name, 20s and 30s, pretty much before Barra, I'd say. And uh, his career war uh, is like, uh, like top seven or eight amongst all catchers ever. So Yankees have had a bunch of great catchers, but Barra was the, for sure the pick. The numbers are really good. The championships are really good. And he's like fifth all time in like uh in like jaws which is kind of a or six all time which is like a good stat for this kind of thing but anyways travis yeah uh, and, and was really there for the, the the crown period of the yankees i think he finished like when he first came into the league that's when like dimaggio was kind of finishing up and those with, guys he played with dimaggio and mantle that's right like, that's an important right bridge and so yeah went from dimaggio to mantle so i mean played with some of the best players of all time and yeah. of course uh you know playing all those seasons at catcher uh yeah, definitely ranks up. I think, and also a great power bat. I think he has over 350 home runs or something like that as a catcher. So easy pick there. Uh, Alex, let's move to first and second base, the right side of the infield. Who do yep. you got? Yeah, first base, Travis. Uh, it's uh, Mark Teixeira? It's one of the easiest picks, I think, of the <laughs> entire thing because 
There's other good first basemen in their history, but no one is even close to Lou Gehrig. Uh, just an all-time great, in my opinion, the best first baseman ever. Uh, he's a slam dunk pick for first base. Second base, Travis, uh, had a, I had, you know. I thought about this one. I thought to think about it a little yep. bit. I ended up going with Robbie Cano. Okay. So go ahead and give me your, your, your two guys. We'll talk. Same one, Lou Gehrig. Uh, easiest thing on, on this entire, I think so far the easiest one uh, so far on the whole entire series of this. Uh, second in war, 113.7 war for the Yankees. Easy slam dunk first baseman. Robinson Cano went with that second base. Tony Laziri was a guy that I definitely had to think about. And I think also Willie Randolph was another yeah. guy I had to think about as being guys that uh, had better wars as a Yankee. Um, but looking at Cano's stats, Alex, I mean, a slugger at the second base position and also a very, very good fielder. Uh, it, it was just kind of an easy pick because I think he has a 309 batting average. He had like an 860 OPS, uh, good OPS plus, just great numbers, good hitting numbers, a lot of home runs. Uh, honestly could finish out his career as one of the best power hitting second basemen of all time. He was very, very good. Yeah. The, the steroid, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Suspensions, even though that happened later in his career, it still always kind of gives me a second to where I have to think about it and say, maybe someone else, if they're close enough to him in terms of offense, I could give them the nudge because they, if they didn't do steroids, but, uh, I think, yeah, like you said, his bat was too much, uh, the numbers are too much better than his field, essentially. So yeah. I also want Cano. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, when doing these lists, Alex, I actually really put aside the steroids. I honestly don't care if he makes those. That will come into discussion, of course, in January with Hall of Fame because I have a little bit of a different view on that. Interesting. But with these lists, I'm actually looking a little bit like, you know what? Steroids are not going to be a part of my kind of uh, thinking when I make these teams. Uh, so I, you know, with Cano being so good in his early part of his career, I think his second year he had like a 342 batting average. What uh, was a, you know, was it was a great hitter? I think almost, almost over 200 hits uh, in that season. Uh, I think it was 06 or 07. Uh, but I was gonna say like he does have a ring. Yeah. But like all these guys are gonna have rings. No, it's exactly. The Yankees, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, I feel like from 2010 to 2011, I think 2012 is his last season. He was honestly like hitting in the middle of their middle middle of their lineup and was one of the best power hitters on their team. Yeah. And of course in the AL. So easy uh right side of the infield. Alex, let's move to the left side of the infield. And I think it might be another easy uh selection as well. I'll go first. Shortstop, easy. Derek Jeter, third base, in my opinion, easy. Alex Rodriguez, uh, two teammates at uh, you know, the left side of the infield for pretty much the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, almost finished out their career together, but uh, interested to see who you got. Yeah, 100%. It is very easily Jeter and A-Rod. Um, I think just the numbers completely support it. Offensively, they're the best at their position. They're some of the best players at their position of all time, let alone for the Yankees. So, uh, yeah, in my mind, no one really comes close. Like There are other very respected, uh, good players from those positions from the past, uh, like Risotto for Risotto for a shortstop and uh, like Nettles for like a third baseman. But at the end of the day, like I don't think anyone comes close to those two in terms of like overall counting stats with the team and then just how good they were as a player. And I, I know the 09 World Series means a lot to fans. So that's even bonus points. But playoff murder that year yeah. for Alex Rodriguez. And then, of course, Jeter in the playoffs any year. He's going to be yeah. one of the top performers on both teams uh, yeah. playing against each other. So uh, pretty easy, I think, infield when you look at that. Alex, moving to the outfield, who do you have for your three outfielders for the all-time Yankees? Yeah, so this is the kind of the point where I had to decide what I'm going to do with my DH because yeah. there's lots of good outfielders in Yankee Definitely. history, so I had to make some decisions. One guy on here is very surprising to me. 
but my outfield is Mickey Mantle, mm-hmm. Joe DiMaggio, and Aaron Judge. So go ahead and give me your three, and we'll talk. <laughs> so my three, uh, first two are, of course, the same, DiMaggio Mantle. Yeah. Uh, last guy is going to be Babe Ruth. Yeah, okay. Um, he was a right fielder with the Yankees after switching from uh, pitcher to, to outfielder. Played a little first base, but that was before Garrick's time. But uh, Ruth will be known, of course, as an outfielder. Did, of course, like to see him possibly at the DH spot. Uh, but I, I consider I'll put him at the outfield spot because I have another guy for DH. Um, so, you know, I think it's a pretty uh, simple, you know, picker there. We'll go to DH now and then we'll discuss because I want to know why the Aaron, four, the Aaron right. Judge uh, pick. So uh, I guess I'll start, Alex, with the DH spot for uh, my all-Yankees team, and I went with Reggie Jackson. Right, yeah. So Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, uh, played actually five years. Same amount of years he played on the Angels as he did with the Yankees five years was of course a great player in those five years, pretty much the middle of his career from uh, his age 31 to his age 35 season. He played as a Yankee and, you know, looking at it, 281 average in those five years, not great, not like insanely great, but very good. Uh, An 897 OPS with a 148 OPS plus. So he was almost averaging as a 150 OPS plus player in those uh, five years and then of course 144 homers uh, 115 doubles was an extra base hit machine uh, so really of course wanted to put him there and also I considered in postseason experience what he was able to do in the postseason he who, who wouldn't want to have him at DH spot but uh, give me your DH I, I think I know who it is yeah you easily. know who it is it, it, <laughs> you can't it, leave the guy off it's but. of course Babe Ruth um, Charis, it, so really the comparison here the only difference we have on our whole list is I have Judge in right field with babe on the on the dh spot and then Mm -hmm. you have babe in the outfield with reggie and that's that's what makes sense to me is having reggie's the dh with babe in the outfield i understand that and then i just realized that you know like you said a 140 was it 148 148 OPS OPS plus yep for five years as yankee and that's for that's for reggie jackson judge is a 150 so you can make the case that they're equal hitters and judge is a gold glove like candidate year in and year out mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. judge even though he probably has less like plate appearances because of his injuries and stuff he still has uh one more season played even mm-hmm. though you know shortened season he probably has less games um but at the end of the day i think that judges ops plus tells me they're very comparable hitters and with the kind of switcheroo i made having judge in the outfield and ruth as the dh i'm getting a great great defender in right field yeah so uh the, the war numbers favor judge which is surprising but an eight war season a six war season a six war season a six war season so like very good seasons from judge and then if i go over to reggie um still obviously some legendary numbers but a 4.5 war a 3.5 war 4.8 never gets to that six number which uh judge gets to multiple times so um a lot of that's the defense and that's just a it, you know, you don't have to put your team around the defensive side of things. I just saw the fact that their bats are very, very comparable. And I said, I'm just going to go with the guy with the better glove. It seems premature to have him on this list, but I think his bat is actually just that good. So um, there's completely an argument for Jackson because of postseason and because of judges injuries. I completely get that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I and, see, I see both sides. And I was definitely going to think about, you know, judge is a guy that, yeah, I, I, you know, he, he's trending in that. And, you know, if he can play the healthy season, he's kind of like the, Byron Buxton, if he can play 162 games in right field, 
he's going to have a, like a seven war every season, you know, with what he brings at, at the defensive, you know, level, it is excellent. And then of course, power number, it's going to be 40 plus home runs. So um, I, I definitely see where you're coming with that. Um, it, it, you know, that, that's why I love kind of doing these lists because it, it sparks a good, interesting conversation with, with, uh, you know, putting judge in there when, you know, I feel like most people are like, he hasn't even earned his pinstripes yet because he can't win right. a world series. Right. I think most Yankee fans would definitely be like, judge is not a Yankee yet until he gets us a ring. Um, and you know, until he plays a full season, honestly, until he probably wins an MVP, I feel like Yankee fans are still, uh, probably they're, they're of course really hard at judging their players. So, uh, but I mean, of course you look at the defensive side, it's going to be, it's going to be judge. He's a better defender than Babe Ruth and Reggie Jackson. Um, power wise, you could definitely make a case, uh, pure power. He's definitely top of the list. I think, what was it? 50 something, 52 home runs his rookie year. Uh, uh yeah. 52 homers and okay. the on base numbers are very good. Yeah. The slugging yeah. numbers yeah. are very yeah. good. So I, yeah, I, I like the pick. Um, he's very comparable to Reggie Jackson. Both guys strike out a lot. A lot, uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're, think, they're, they're okay with sacrificing that contact for some power, which exactly. makes them kind of comparable. And uh, I think I think Reggie actually is the all-time leader in strikeouts. And, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, a record that will be broken someday by someone because people are striking out more than ever before. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder who it will be. Probably Joey Gallo or something like that. <laughs> if, if it's it's going to be Gallo or Stanton or, or it could even be Trout if he plays so he's like forty or something. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. It'll come down to how long these guys play for. But. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I I like the conversation we just had because, yep. uh, like you said, there's so many like there's like a bajillion like retired numbers for the Yankees, and I'm mm-hmm. going with an active player in Redfield, which is kind of silly, but but yeah, that's the way I see it. Um, but we're probably good to move on to uh, pitching now. Yeah, pitching and the pitching of course is always a good. Uh, you know, it's definitely five names that I feel like we definitely always will have uh, differences in this one because pitching you can look at so many a number of different stats to really pick your top five. But mm-hmm. for me, Alex. I went with these five. I went with Whitey Ford. I went with Ron Gudry. I went with Red Ruffing. Mel, Stott, I think Stottlemyre. Okay. Stottlemyre. And then Lefty Gomez. Okay. Those are my five for the Yankees starting a rotation. Not not the craziest best rotation. I feel like Yankees have just been so good with the bats, but the rotation is where they kind of come back down to earth when you look at the overall, you know, studness of it. But uh, give me your five and we'll discuss. Yeah, so Whitey Ford as well on my team, Red Ruffing as well, uh, Lefty Gomez, Ron Gudry. So those four are the same. Um, a difference that I do have is my fifth guy is going to be Andy Pettit, okay. which is uh, you know someone who, like I keep saying, I didn't think I'd have on here. But looking at the numbers, he's got a really great you know career war. It's like up at around 70. He's on the Hall of Fame ballot now, Travis, so I'm sure we'll talk about him some more in, uh, in January when that time comes. But... Uh, he's someone who has been linked to steroids uh, at times, probably helped him uh, recover and you know be, be able to pitch until his later years in that like, 09 era when you know they won that World Series. But Travis, uh, I just really like uh, the numbers Pettit put up as a Yankee. Obviously, he also was great on other teams. He was a good Astro there. He was for, there during their prime, yeah, 2004 and five, yeah. But I, I think what he did as a Yankee, um, I think it's worthy of consideration for this list. It's only a 115 ERA plus, which is not super super incredible but it is 51 war as a pitcher that's just for the yankees yeah, only yeah. that's a lot so i really like that talk to me about um mel i don't remember his, yeah i, I think I, it's i think it's Stott- stottlemyre but uh okay. no yeah i i was looking at pettit pettit was a was a postseason horse if mm-hmm. you want to look at that for me uh was stottlemyre had a sub uh all all 11 years with the yankees he played 11 year career all with the yankees from age 22 to 32 um 
164 wins, a, a 2.97 ERA, a sub three ERA. Uh, and that to me just, I think is a very rare stat when you look at pitchers who probably go 10 plus years and have a sub three ERA as a career number. Uh, very, very impressive. A one point, or I'm sorry, a, a 112 ERA plus. So very, very close to Pettit, yeah. just three below. Uh, but I, I just went with him because of the sub three ERA. I just figured playing ten plus years and having a sub three ERA three ERA is uh, is definitely something to be notable for uh, any any pitcher. I mean, I, we, we look at you know Max Scherzer. I don't even know if he has that number right now, or right, no, uh, you know some so. of the other studs of the game. Uh, pretty pretty impressive, I thought uh, for him. So that was my my fifth guy on the list. Um, There's another guy who I wanted to shout out. I almost had him. I think I ended up. I almost put him over Goodrie, honestly, because this guy was just so good. But yeah. uh, Spud Chandler, Travis, his numbers are – I just want to shout him out. The war is not that high. He only pitched for 11 years, but 24.4 war only. But his career ERA, you probably like him, 2.84 career ERA. Okay. A 132 ERA plus. But I think the innings pitch is just a little bit low for him to make my list. Um, but, yeah, like the Yankees have some hidden kind of sneaky gems on the pitching side. Easily. And then Whitey Ford and guys like, you know, uh, Gudry are like – had some all-time great seasons. So. Definitely. And you had to look at even like CeCe Sabathia. You had to look I at did. You know, I did Roger to, yeah. Clemens a little bit too. Mussina as well. Exactly, exactly. So there are a lot of guys that you look at and you're like, oh my God, this guy is going to be sneaky to make on the list. But uh, moving on to the closer, Alex, this oh. guy is pretty easy. Uh, right. And it's going to be Enter Sandman, Mariano Rivera. Uh, right. Most saves in history. Uh, best ERA plus in uh, MLB history as a pitcher. But of course, getting less innings than a lot of guys. But uh, playoff numbers are ridiculous. I, I think there was there was something about more men have walked on the moon than what then, was it, scored then, on Mariano then, Rivera. Then I scored an earned run. I forget if it's the World Series or the playoffs. It's something. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's I think definitely it's the, crunch time. I think it's I think it might be. I forget either it's way. It's probably the World yeah. Series. Yeah, but like yeah. It, it was it was the sample size was like a hundred innings or something, and like there's been more men on the moon than scored an earned run, which is just like is wild mind-boggling yeah but yeah uh travis we agree i obviously have my own rivera there's been a history of some good closers obviously currently a role chapman is you know compiling a great career for himself he's mm -hmm. going to be a 300 save guy with mm -hmm. tons of strikeouts uh great strikeouts on a rate basis um goose gossage historically is one of the all-time great uh, closers Definitely. had a good stint with the yankees there's other guys too i'm forgetting as well uh but yeah 100 percent there's just not even a question. Mariano Rivera is the best closer ever. Uh, he 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 closed for two decades, has five rings. He's synonymous with Jeter pretty much on like how you know that whole dynasty. So he has to be there completely. Uh, there's no question. And definitely, uh, like you said, you know, only unanimous uh, Hall of Famer. And it's kind of mm -hmm. funny that you yeah. know people, of course, will remember him kind of like Dennis Eckersley for giving up the walk-off single in the World Series to lose it. Kind of crazy that a guy like that has probably the lowest moment uh, out of anyone ever in a career but of course the career that he bounced back was just in just you can't really describe it right yeah 100 uh, agree insane but uh that that completes the yankees um it's a dynasty yeah. it is a very good team i think right now they would probably win on paper for a lot of other uh teams that we've already gone through i, th I think this team could beat some like division teams like oh. a, a, a weak division easily could you just see uh, yeah <laughs> mantle dimaggio and ruth are in your outfield that's like easily. three of the best hitters ever easily. so easily easily but uh we'll move now to the baltimore orioles uh and baltimore this is their history they were of course uh created in 1901 121 years of orioles baseball well not orioles baseball with the franchise but they started out in 1901 as of the milwaukee brewers 
for a year. Interesting that they were there for a year. They moved then to St. Louis and became the St. Louis Browns from 1902 to 1953. And then in 54, moved to Baltimore and became the Orioles uh, ever since 1954. So, again, another long history moving around from different spots of the country and, of course, now settling in Baltimore. I will say this team is not that bad. Uh, Orioles fans right now, you, you you have at least something to cheer about as your all-franchise team is pretty good. It is really good. It's got I'd a say. lot of good hitters and a lot of good uh, performers on this team. But we'll start, Alex, with the catching position. Tell me who you got, and I'll go, and then we'll compare. Um, so I have Chris Hoyles, and this is someone who I did not know that much about at all before going into this list. But just everyone I kind of looked at uh, just didn't really compare in my mind at least. Um, like I was just kind of trying to rack my brain and think about different guys. Uh, one guy that came up in my mind was like a Matt Weeders. Definitely. But um, the numbers just aren't as good as Chris Hoyle. So I'm loading that up now. Um, so he started out his career in 89 and played till 98. So just a 10 year career. But overall, his OPS plus is up at a 119, which is that's very good for a catcher to be that much above average. And for me to have, to have never heard of you, you know, before the doing the research. But he was a big on base guy, had a, even a 416 on base season when he got some MVP votes. That's pretty surprising, Travis. In 93, a 126 games played season as a catcher. He slashed 310 average, 416 on base, 585 slugging. That's over 1,000 OPS, 162 OPS plus. All that's as, as a catcher with 29 homers. He only got 16th in MVP. I feel like he would have gotten top 10 for sure with that kind of numbers. But I guess as early steroid era, American League, there was probably some other guys who um, were really de- deadly that year too. But Travis, go ahead and tell me about your catcher. Uh, same thing. Yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I, again, same thing you said. Looked at Weeders. Uh, he's kind of the only Oriole catcher I really remember. I feel like in in my lifetime, I want to say, because he, he was a good switch hitter. Uh, and he was just a highly valued name. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was early, a great defender, part of, early part of the 2010s had a really good season, really good glove, won some gold gloves. But uh, Chris Hoyles, definitely uh, very surprising. I mean, literally, you know, a 119 career OPS plus. And then, like you said, that season, a 310 batting average as a catcher, uh, you know, and, and, and you're looking at the list down from 92 to 96 every year, almost hitting 20 or more home runs. Yeah. I mean, every single year was get a great offensive stretch, a good, consistent hitting catcher. Uh, for the Baltimore Orioles in the 90s. So easy pick there, I thought, uh, looking at that. But we'll move now to the right side of the infield, Alex. And for this, I have the great Hall of Famer Eddie Murray at first base. And at second base, I have Bobby Gritch. He was on our Angels list. He's on my Orioles list as well. Just a great war guy. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally a guy that should be getting a lot of consideration in the Veterans Committee uh, for a Hall of Fame uh, plaque. But Absolutely. Rich, Murray, my right side, who do you got? Yeah, Charles, we agree again. I also have Eddie Murray manning first base and Gritch manning second base. Charles, I think Gritch, uh, the more and more I look at his numbers, the more and more we kind of talk about this kind of stuff, he is probably a top three, like most snubbed non-Hall of Famer. His numbers are too good for him really not to be in the Hall of Fame. It does not really make sense at all just looking at how good his war numbers were like he's up at a 70 war for a second baseman second baseman is kind of like a dry position in terms of like these guys who played there their whole career he played great defense and i think the real reason he probably got snubbed uh is because his career batting average is 266 it's yeah. not great yeah but he hit for a decent pop and was a great great on base guy great walker and i think that is a skill 
that has more, I guess, love now than it did back then. So he probably now, I think, is likely to get on a veterans committee or something like that. But a 125 OPS plus from a catcher for a career is great. On just Baltimore, it was up at a 127 for seven years. Uh, great war numbers. As a, as a Baltimore Oriole, he has 36 war in the seven seasons. So Yeah, and you know what's crazy is if you, you know, if you ask someone who has a higher war, Eddie Murray or Bobby Gritch, Bobby Gritch, Eddie War or Eddie Murray only had a 68 something war. So wow. pretty incredible. You look at that right side, who has the better war? Gritch over Murray. Murray was a 500 plus home run hitter and a 3000 plus hitter uh, with great defense. But Gritch kind of brought it all. And even looking at his numbers, you know, four straight years of gold gloves from uh, 1973 to 1976 with a couple all-stars and Baltimore. But you're right. The, the batting average just was not what it really should be. I think what, what voters liked back then with batting average. But when you look at everything else, you know, brought decent power at the, at the second base spot uh, for, for you know, his whole entire career. So uh, a, good, a good pick, yeah. 100%. And then, Charles, another kind of note on the first base spot. Um, Murray was not a slam dunk for me because there's another really good player in the – uh, St. Louis Browns history by yep. the name of George Sisler. Yep. For folks that do not know, Ichiro Suzuki has the record for most hits in a season. He broke the record from George Sisler, right, Travis? Yep, yep. So uh, that number is up at 257 in 1920. He was 27 years old for the St. Louis Browns. He was playing uh, first base, first baseman, first baseman his whole career. Contact hitter, first baseman, but had some pop too. That season, man, his numbers were impressive. He had a 182 OPS plus. But his peak numbers... I think we're better than Murray's, but I think Murray, uh, when I when I uh, did it for like their whole career as a Brown slash as an Oriole, Murray had the better OPS plus and also more seasons with the team. So that kind of sold it for me. Even though I did the I crunched numbers, Travis Sisler has the superior WAR per sixty five. So yeah. I think per season more WAR, but I think Murray was almost as good of a hitter and did it for way, way longer and is kind of more of the franchise player. So I went with Murray. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, might have a George Schistler mention later in the, uh, in the, in, when we're going over the teams, but okay. Uh, good point. <laughs> uh, Actually, go- I, I, I think a correction. I, Oh no, I, I was right. Yeah. Murray played one more season as an Oriole versus okay. 12. Yeah. 13 are for, for Murray and 12 for, uh, for Schistler. Yeah. And I think you look at Murray too, with being such a good fielder and also being a guy who has 3000 plus hits and 500 plus home runs. That's definitely a stat that not a lot of people have in you know, right. major league history. So, uh, kudos, of course, to, to Murray for being able to do that and being kind of a great all-around hitter. But uh, Alex, we'll go to the left side of the infield. Pretty easy selection. Uh, Cowerkin Jr. at short, Brooks Robinson at third. Two guys that played their entire careers as Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Brooks Robinson, probably the best fielding, uh, you could say third baseman, and honestly, you could maybe even say best fielding infielder of all time. Yeah. Some of the craziest plays you'll ever see in the 1960s. And then, of course, Cowerpkin Jr., Mr. Iron Man, never missing a game, uh, and being one of the best, honestly, power-hitting th- shortstops in Major League Baseball history. Easy left-side pick. Who do you got for yours? It has to be Ripken and Brooks Robinson. There's just no question. I agree with what you said about the guys. Uh, both great defenders. Brooks Robinson, obviously, on a planet of his own in terms of, you know, I, I, I can only wonder... Uh, what things would look like today because back then they're using like these kind of weird looking like oven mitt gloves and he was just doing these craziest plays um and then of course Cal Ripken Jr. Travis 
most war in franchise history. Yep. Brooks has second most. Yep. It, they're just complete locks um, for these kind of spots. Um, yeah, I think I think Ripken honestly gets slept on in terms of like all time all time shortstop lists. We'll talk more about that later. But uh, yeah, for the time being, those two guys are such slam dunk picks for left side of the infield. Uh, I don't think anyone is in the conference. One thing I will say is that Mark uh, Bellinger or Belanger or something. I know he was a shortstop at the same time as Brooks Robinson was a third baseman. And he has some of the most defensive war of all time. Wow. Which is a really interesting that the Orioles franchise is like stacked up on these defensive like greats. Like Ripken's a great defender. This guy, Mark Belanger, Brooks Robinson, Murray is a bunch of gold gloves. Like these, that's, yeah. they really kind of have focused on that as part of their, I guess, identity as, as a franchise. But um, the pick is obvious. Definitely. Definitely. We'll move now to the three outfielders, Alex, and I'll let you go first with your three. Okay, so my three outfielders, I picked Travis. Uh, starting off with Frank Robinson, for me, was the biggest like home run slam dunk pick. Um, I also have Ken Singleton in my outfield. Okay. Uh, and then my last guy is going to be Ken Williams. So okay. go ahead and tell me your three, and we can kind of talk about Interesting. Those guys. So, yeah, Frank Robinson, slam dunk. Uh, only guy to have an MVP in both leagues. Uh, probably one of the best uh, black power hitters of all time. He came in uh, kind of in the when you know black players were slowly migrating into the major leagues. Started off in Cincinnati in '56, then of course played uh, six years for Baltimore. But those six years in Baltimore, Alex, I mean a 169 OPS plus, won the MVP. He had a 198 OPS plus uh, that year. He won the MVP. Just an automatic uh, goat, <laughs> if you would say. Yeah. I mean, I mean the the power hitting is unbelievable almost just almost 600 home runs in his career uh he is an all-time great yeah i think he honestly gets slept on in the all-timer yep. conversation because there's, there's so many legendary outfielders in the game of baseball for the whole history but uh, like you said he was part of like the like he was very early on in like integration and he was probably one of the most influential you know outfielders for you know african-americans and then just overall uh his offense there's just no questioning it like you said upper 160s ops plus for like a several year stretch has the MVP in there as well. Also has the, um, uh, triple crown. So it, yep. it, it just um, amazing. Amazing. Yep. Yep. And then of course, moving over, I have Ken Williams as well. Uh, great slugger for the St. Louis Browns from 1918 to 1927, uh, led the AL in home runs in 22. Pretty incredible that that was the same time that, you know, Babe Ruth was playing and he actually led the AL in home runs one of the years and led the league, uh, in RBIs at 155, uh, great average guy, of course, 326 average, 403 on base, 558 slugging, and a 961 OPS uh, with the St. Louis Browns in 10 years. And then my third pick, I went with Boog Powell. Uh, so Boog Powell was a big-time slugger back from 1961 all the way to 1974. He played 14 years with the Orioles, 300 home runs with the Orioles, uh, and had a 135 OPS plus, uh, 826 OPS, uh, and of course won the MVP in 1970. So he, I like him a lot just because he had a very nice prime, Alex. In 1969 and 1970, finished in the top two of the MVP in both years. So uh, really was a good and great power bat. Uh, for those Orioles teams and I think the Orioles might have I know they actually I'm sorry they they played the Mets in the World Series in 68 um, and the Mets of course beat them that year but was part of some very good uh, Orioles teams with Brooks Robinson so he was my last outfielder yeah that makes a lot of sense Travis he's actually my DH okay so I'm just gonna jump the gun and go there <laughs> um, yeah I, I completely agree with everything you said on Boog Powell I love his numbers he was just probably 
kind of underrated in his time. Like he has some seasons here where he's batted like, you know, 256 or 252, but his on base is up at like 380. So uh, definitely kind of a modern day hitter, more so than like a guy who was playing in the 60s and 70s where they probably loved, you know, the batting average. But like you said, MVP uh, first place finish the year before that was second place in MVP. Has some great OPS numbers at his peak up in the 160s. So 100% he deserves to be in this team. Even a 176 OPS plus season yeah. uh, in 1964. So overall, uh, total, totally great slugger. He ends up being my DH. Uh, really quickly going back to my outfielders. Um, Ken Williams, you covered well. Uh, underrated kind of slug, slugger hitter from you know the the, tw- the early or sorry late 19 teens and like 1920s. Um, kind of slept on because a guy named Babe Ruth was tearing up the American League and amongst other names. But yeah, just some great OPS numbers. A 144 OPS plus as a Brown, and then uh, my other pick was Ken Singleton Travis, who was kind of an interesting pick. Uh, by me, I didn't know much about him before doing the list, but a 135 OPS plus, and that's just as a Baltimore Oriole for 10 years. So 10 years of 135 OPS plus, I like that a lot. He led the he led a he led baseball in OPS and sorry in on base one year, but that was actually as a as a Montreal Expo. But yeah, either way, Travis, I loved his numbers too. Um, a great outfielder uh, has multiple MVP uh, has received multiple years of MVP votes two years finished top three in MVP voting. So some of it, I didn't know a lot about him, but upon learning about him, some great peak seasons. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that pick. Yeah. And he was definitely, of course, a guy that, you know, when you like these lists, you look at all these guys and with being such a high war guy for the uh, Orioles, uh, definitely you want to keep, keep a look at and, um, you know, be in consideration. But it sounds like, of course, you had Boog Powell for DH. I'm in the outfield. So my DH, Alex, I went with George Sisler. Right. Um, George Sisler, uh, 344 average with the st louis browns uh one of the best uh you know was very high creeping on ty cobbs you know all-time batting average champion of you know mlb history so uh, he finishes finishes career with a 340 average uh but a 132 ops plus compared to uh singleton's 135 did play two more years than singleton uh with the organization but of course finishing up with you know just monster numbers when you look at doubles and of course triples i feel like back then you know it's very common to have more triples than home runs in those years. I mean, 93 homers in 12 years. So not a very good, you know, of course, home run hitter during the dead ball era. But uh, it was funny. He was actually on this site. I followed the day on Instagram. It's called on this Dayton MLB. So uh, it's an account on Instagram. Uh, a lot of cool things because they just post a lot of stuff that happened, of course, on this day. So during the season, it's, of course, a lot better because they have videos from cool right. plays, you know, great wed gems that kind of stuff but they covered actually george sister today and it was funny one of the quotes was uh from ty cobb and ty cobb basically said that sister was the nearest thing to a perfect ball player uh from a guy that's like of that stature interesting and actually one other thing too was that uh a lot of the alumni back then were saying that sister was one of the greatest fielding first basemen they've ever seen um so he was definitely a guy that i was actually considering for my first base spot and having murray slide to the dh spot but um just looking at those seasons with those hits, 257 hits, and then, of course, 246 hits with an MVP. Um, really, of course, the offense is just, you know, not many people compare to it. Uh, almost had a 400 total base season as well. So uh, that is my DH pick. Um, not going to, of course, your pick, of course, very, very good as well, being an outfielder. Boog Powell, a great power hitter, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of sums up our offense, Alex. Yeah. Uh, 
good time to move to the starting pitching? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we have our five starting pitchers, and I'll let you start first, Alex, and give me your five. I'll give you mine, and we'll discuss. Cool. So starting off, my number one has to be Jim Palmer. Definitely. Um, I'll just rattle them off, and then we'll talk. Uh, Mike Mussina is in my rotation. Urban Shocker, great name, is in my rotation. Uh, Dave McNally and Ned Garver, those guys round out my rotation. So go Very ahead, good. Go and give me your five. Very good. So yeah, Jim Palmer, easy guy uh, to do number one. Mike Messina, another guy, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, spent, of course, almost, I think it was a little bit more of half of his career with the Orioles, but of right. course, he was a Yankee, pitching a lot of big games with the Yankees, but he is my number two. Dave McNally as my number three. Urban Shocker as my number four. And then I think you pronounce it Mike Quillar, Quillar. I I know he's a Latin American guy, but don't know. Uh, <laughs> he is rounding out at my number five. Spell it. Uh, C U E L L A R. He's from Cuba. Sorry, I'm not. I'm, I know the the Latin last names are not going to be my strong point, but yeah, I, uh, I I I I'm not sure how to say that. That Quillar. The, the double L probably makes a <laughs> yeah, but say uh, <laughs> say you are. I'm not sure. I'm sure I'm butchering it too, even though I speak a little bit of Spanish. But but, but oh, oh, it looks like pronunciation. It says Quayar. Quayar. Okay. Quayar. Okay. Got it. But basically, I'll just cover it. Um, eight years with Baltimore. Uh, in eight years, 143 wins. Wow. So had a lot of wins. Had a 24 win season in 1970. Uh, and that, of course, led MLB. And then the year before that, 23 wins with a 2.38 ERA, had the Cy Young that week year. I think, again, I really liked his little two-year prime. Back-to-back years finishing in the top four for Cy Young votes. Got some MVP votes as well. Um, and, of course, was around for those uh, great teams. Was a 1970 World Series champion. Uh, so he was my last pick. Just, of course, uh, a 3.18 ERA with the Orioles in those eight seasons. Only a 109 ERA plus. A lot of guys had the same, uh, very similar ERAs as him. But uh, he was my last pick. Alex, why'd you go with, I think it's Garver. Yeah, so Ned Garver was my pick. Our only difference in the pitching side of things. Um, he was only a St. Louis Brown for five years. So okay. he just met that minimum threshold barely. So you have the the years played on me. Uh, this guy has the rate bait. The rate-based stats over uh, Cuellar, though, 124 <laughs> ERA+. plus. Uh, he led baseball in uh, complete games twice, 22 and 24 complete games in 50 and 51. So was wow. he a workhorse in those years? In that second year in 51, had a 3.73 ERA, which seems kind of high, but it's good for a 118 ERA+. plus. But he led baseball in complete games, and he actually got second in MVP voting, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Um, this is There's no Cy Young voting here. Uh, this is this is he pitched with them in the from 48 to 52 it looks like but yeah overall the era is kind of high at a three a 64 but i think that's mostly the era pitching the american league in the 40s like this is like ted williams is a player right now at this point uh dimaggio is a player at this point so he's going up against some greats for sure and i think factoring that in travis i uh i think the era plus is really good he led baseball in era plus in 1950 so yeah. overall some good peak years from him uh, you know, I think, you know, there's lots of good options here. Quayar makes sense. Uh, but these five years are as good as, uh, just about anyone from that organization. So I went with him. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. And, uh, good to see the top two guys. Palmer Palmer, of course, is just, a, is, he's, he's an Oriole. Like he yeah. is the face of the Orioles pitching staff. Yeah. For, for folks that don't know, I mean, he like, I mean, he must lead in so many, I think he's third all time in their franchise war and he'd lead in so many you, pitching. You, you look at career pitching for Baltimore Orioles baseball. Yeah. Uh, it just says Jim Palmer everywhere. So yeah. he, it's funny when you see those guys that are just taking over the whole entire, uh, yeah. team. N- yeah. 19 seasons all with the Baltimore 
three Cy Young Awards, got second place twice, got third uh, once, fifth once. Second, yeah, it just just too good. There's yeah, too yeah. good of, of, of a prime and longevity. He has, he has he did it all. Musina, Travis, completely deserves to be on here, had the great peak years. Um, we agreed on everyone else. So. Yeah, it's funny. I think Messina honestly had like a high three ERA in his career. Um, and he was a guy that I know he got voted in a couple of years ago. And people were actually, they, they were, there was a, there was a good debate on Messina because people thought, you know, does he really deserve this? I mean, I don't think I, he, I, he never won a Cy Young. I'm pretty sure. And no. people were saying, you know, he was never, you know, like a, the, the best pitcher. Exactly. Baseball he was never like a top three Cy Young guy year in and year out. He was just always a guy that was, you know, durable and Lots played of a fourth, lot of season <laughs> and, and, and played a lot of big postseason games uh, for, I think, also some stretches of the Orioles, but also a lot for the Yankees uh, for I, that. I, I, I'm really happy the voters uh, did get him in, though, just because I think people who pitch in a really hard era get kind of screwed over with their ERA, like yeah. three, six, eight ERA for a whole career, 18 year career. Pitching in the AL East in the '90s and 20 and 2000s, that's a really tough era, a yeah. tough ball, tough you know ballparks to pitch in, and yep. you know all the above. But he's got multiple fourth place Cy Young finishes, fifth place finishes. Even in his last season as a Yankee in 08, if he waited one more year, he could have got another ring. But he uh, he he did, funny, re- yeah. he did retire in 08, and he got uh, MVP votes that year. Just shows how good okay. his how good his career was. But yeah, okay. Anyways, that's as a Yankee, of course. I think starting pitching, we're kind of in agreement here, Travis. Definitely. We can move on to closing pitcher. Definitely, definitely. And, of course, uh, closing pitcher for me, Alex, for the Orioles. It will have to go to Zach Britton. Um, two guys I want to talk about, of course, too. Jim Johnson uh, was kind of a legend, I feel like, in 2010 and 11. Back-to-back 50 or more save seasons, which is just kind of insane. When you look at the all-time saves list for the Orioles, he's number three. And he really only pitched as a closer for two seasons. And he's already like in the top three. Yeah. Uh, Greg Olson was another guy that is the top saves leader for the Orioles. Has a great ERA with also an ERA plus uh, and 160 saves. Basically, my reasoning for going with Britain was just because of I know he had a good two to three year prime. I just remember back, I think it was 2015 or 16. He got some Cy Young votes. He got some MVP votes uh, and he finished with a point. 5-4 ERA in 2016. That's an 803 ERA plus, of course. Uh, closers, of course, are going to get higher numbers on ERA pluses. I'm not going to be too concerned greatly with that, but just three straight seasons with ERA pluses over 215 or higher. Uh, I, I just I love the 2014 to 2016 span of Zach Britton. It is just so dominant. It is so good. Uh, and how durable he was. Uh, it's it just, it, it's its crazy to see. But he's my closer for how dominant he was. Who do you got uh, for your closer? Just we completely agree. I also wanted to highlight Greg Olson. And then I also saw Jim Johnson had some great seasons too. But Zach Britton was my pick. Um, I agree with everything you said. I was hesitant on him for only a couple of reasons. Like he started out as a starting pitcher. Yep. First three years was a starting pitcher with just kind of uh, a little bit below average ERA numbers. ERA plus a little bit below 100 in those three seasons, but then becomes a relief pitcher, immediately becomes a dominant closer, uh, 37 saves, 36 saves, and then leads baseball with 47 saves in 2016. Travis, that 14 to 16 stretch you mentioned, if I just combine it all on baseball reference, it adds up to a 209 innings pitched, which is like, that's like a full season for a starter. Exactly. And the ERA is at a 1.38 a 299 ERA plus. So just that would be the best season <laughs> like, ever yeah, if that happened for real. Greatest but, season ever. But, uh, you know, the fact that this guy was doing this in, you know, this era of the AL East when, you know, there was other good teams going on, 
uh, in that division. I think that uh, it just says a lot about how dominant he was at his peak. And even 2017 and then the beginning of 2018 before he got traded to the Yankees, he put up some more great numbers as well. Like you said, he got fourth in Cy Young votes in 2016 as a relief pitcher is just a huge deal. So yeah, uh, incredible, incredible peak numbers from him. I'm got to be agree there. Definitely, definitely. So that kind of sums up our all Orioles team. We yeah. will now move to the next team, Alex, and that is the Boston Red Sox. Cool. Again, 121 years of Red Sox history started out as the Boston Americans. Pretty cool name, I thought, uh, as, as, you know, uh, they're kind of like that Patriot squad in Boston. But uh, started out in 1901 as the Americans went all the way to 1907 and then changed the name to the Red Sox in 08. Uh, pretty, pretty good franchise, just like the Yankees, of 100%. course. But uh, Alex, we'll again start with the catching position. And this one, I thought, again, pretty simple, pretty easy. Uh, I went with Carlton Fisk. Carlton Fisk, great career Half of his career with the Red Sox, the other half with the White Sox. Uh, I think overall he had a better, possibly White Sox career. But some of those percentage stats you look at with the Red Sox, just incredible and was a great catcher. Uh, eager to hear who you got. Yeah, Travis, we agree. Of course, it has to be Carlton Fisk. Uh, another factor is the legendary postseason moment, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, waving the ball fair, hits the foul pole to win a World Series game. Uh, to force a game seven it's just a, a uh absolutely infamous or i guess f infamous for the await for the reds but goodwill hunting yeah yeah, yeah. F f exactly <laughs> great, great scene but yeah yeah. Uh, yeah famous for the uh the boston red sox even though they end up losing this series of course the curse lived on but uh what carlton fisk was able to do travis as a red sock definitely puts him in just like the uh elite of the elite for the for the franchise um for a catcher uh, there's other really great names, uh, like, you know, Veritek is someone who's more modern and like he was a captain. So he kind of got that that team respect. But the numbers for Fisk are too good. Um, you kind of compare his White Sox and Red Sox uh, teams, I guess. Uh, more games played as a White Sox and more White Sox for longer. But the 126 OPS plus for Boston shows how good of a hitter he really was at Fenway. So I give him tons of props back to back seasons with over a 150 uh OPS, OPS plus, even though those are kind of some shortened injury, shortened seasons, but um, overall, just too good of a hitter not to be here. Um, and I think he's like top five in baseball history for catcher's war. So just yeah, completely deserves to be here. Yep, yep. Uh, that sums up catcher. We'll move to the right side of the infield, first and second base. Uh, for me, Alex, first base, I had Jimmy Fox, double X again. He makes my list. He was on the A's all time, and now he's on the Red Sox uh, for first base. And then moving to second base, I went with Dustin Pedroia. There's a lot of good names on second base Alex, I could have gone with, but I feel like the MVP that Pedroia won was a very significant uh, award for a second baseman at the time. You know, during that season in 2000, I think it was 2008, with just so many good hitters in the league, Rodriguez, Ramirez, Ortiz, Guerrero, just so many Hall of Fame sluggers. Um, I thought it was a pretty amazing uh, accomplishment. Some of the, the some of the stats are a little, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of maybe the the bias of how the Red Sox were doing as a, as the season was progressing because they did yeah. uh, go deep in the playoffs that year. Um, but Pedroia has to be my second baseman. Alex, who do you got for your first uh, base and second base? Yeah, first base, Charles. We agree, Jimmy Fox. Second base, we agree, is Dustin Pedroia. Okay. However, there are lots of other names that I did like as well. I completely agree with what you said. I think the MVP was big and it helps but i do think it was a bit of a i wouldn't say overrated because he did have good war 
and was a good player and had big moments for a team that won lots of games and it makes sense to pick him but it's like he definitely was not the best hitter on his own team yeah. uh you know there's a lot of valuable uh, there's a lot of value in like the fact that he's playing second base and putting up those numbers for sure like his value above like any backup second baseman must have been off the charts but at the end of the day um he ends up being my pick just for the way he i guess uh had such a great long career as a Red Sox. Yep. There's a lot to like about it. Jimmy Fox, Travis, for first base, uh, had his best numbers, at least in my mind, uh, as an A. I think that's kind yeah, of undis- un- undisputed. Easy to say, yeah. But um, still in Boston, has an MVP award to his name. Multiple seasons in Boston, leading the leading uh, the American League in OPS+, plus, leading in OPS. Even has a batting title in Boston uh, with a two forty nine uh, batting average in 1938. So even though just seven years in Boston, put up great numbers, 156 OPS plus, um, batted 320 in that time. So t- a tons of uh, MVP votes going his way in Boston. So was a total lock for that spot in my mind, even though there's other great first basemen in their history. 100%. Um, and one guy I'll shout out to for second base, Bobby Doyer. Uh, he was yeah. a Hall of Famer for the Red Sox. I will say, I don't know if Pedroia will be a Hall of Famer. It's a good discussion to have. Um I'm possibly leaning no right now, but I'll just have to do a little bit more of, uh, you know, analyzing the stats. But Bobby Doyer, uh, only a point three lower war uh, as a Red Sox. Both guys played their entire careers with the Red Sox. uh, And Bobby Doyer, of course, was around for the whole entire like Ted Williams, you know, primetime Ted Williams from 37 to 51. He was a Red Sox player, but uh, he was a guy that I was definitely thinking about for the second base spot because some of his numbers were very, very good for the career compared to Pedroia. Uh, but I think the MVP for Pedroia really does a uh, – it definitely leaves a nice note for that for second base. So I, know, I, I had I, to be biased with that one, yeah. Completely agree that the, the Bobby Doer pick was like uh, – he was written down and I had Pedroia's name written down too and I had to compare them both for a, like a long time. Uh, one thing that's a kicker that Travis – it always stinks to see um, – Thank you for your service, but 1945, Bobby Doerr was 27. I'm sure he would have had a great year, yeah, and it would have helped yeah, his stats a yeah, lot, his career yeah. numbers. Um, it, he literally finished seventh in MVP, then took the year off to be in the war, and then finished third. So this is literally his peak prime. He missed a, he missed a full season of baseball. So definitely hurts his numbers a bit. But Travis, at the end of the day, he deserves tons of honorable mention credit. And, but, and, and is one of the uh, – I think it's one of the, maybe the – 10 or 12 uh, Red Sox to be retired. So his number is retired by awesome, the Red yeah. Sox. So uh, yeah, Pedroia was a, was a, those are, those are definitely a tough pick for that. But Alex, we'll move to the left side of the infield for the Red Sox. For me at the shortstop position, I have Nomar Garcia Parra. And at third base, I have Wade Boggs. Uh, give me yours and we'll discuss. Travis, I also have Garcia Parra and Boggs. Uh, so far, we're pretty much in agreement. Boggs's numbers is as it, it shows a underrated hitter, one of the most, one of the best hitters ever, honestly. Like just some of the what he was able to do, contact, pure and, contact, and also on base. Just yeah. like walked a ton, and when he wasn't walking, he was hitting base hits, doubles, big doubles guy. Didn't have the most insane pop, but just as a lefty, just able to get you know multiple seasons of of like around you know fifty one doubles one year, forty five another year, forty four another year. Just uh, a, a total beast at the plate. Um, no MVP awards, but finished top ten multiple times like several years in a row so uh you know he he is just a total lock for this spot in my mind he led all of baseball in on base one two three four five six times in a seven-year span so his peak hitting 
some of the best of all time. So good. So good. And then Garcia Parra Travis is someone who I think has an underrated prime as well. There's an argument to say that when he was a Red Sox, he might have been better than Jeter when Jeter was a Yankee. You know what? I Looking at some of the numbers, I mean, 99-2000, I mean, 357 average in 99, then a 372 in 2000 with, you know, 20-plus home runs, 603 slugging. I mean, <laughs> he definitely was one of the best slugging shortstops of that generation yeah. uh, easily. The, so the prime numbers as a Red Sox are great. Very, very right by saying that uh, for, for, you know, obvious reasons. It's, it's really funny that he's one of those guys that, you know, you, you, you try to assemble a championship team and he was traded in the middle of the season in 2004 to the Chicago Cubs. And that's the year they won the championship. Yeah, they, had, they had Orlando Cabrera, one of the great, one of the, one of the great angel memories that we have, but it's kind of funny that you can definitely trade away some of the biggest pieces to kind of create the championship team and it reminds me of you know going back to the, even the angels when they traded away jim edmonds and it's like yeah he had a great career and then of course we have darren erstad filling in and darren erstad was a great performer a great defender uh it's, it's interesting how the you know the right personnel will always you know you know be more valuable than of course the actual like talent on the field which is kind of crazy so yeah it's a good point that you bring up because yeah that 04 season for boston he was batting 321 had a 118 ops plus was still a very valuable player playing shortstop but it looks like he missed some games and they just said let's just go for win now mode and and it worked so definitely definitely so that really uh i mean that sums up our left side pretty easy bogs of course easy guy to have and then garcia para um alex we'll move to the outfield and this is a talented outfield big time i will say i'm very sorry for those that honestly got left off there are so many red Sox outfielders when i was going through the list there's so many guys that i just was like god i want to put you in there but i just cannot so for my three alex it's easy to say carl yastrzemski tris speaker ted williams um ted williams was the first guy you easily could jot in i was thinking either dh or outfield but i was said you know what i got another guy for dh he's my outfielder Carlos Stremski, I think it was 19 years with the uh, with the Red Sox organization, Triple Crown MVP winner, um, just an absolute stud at the outfield spot. And then Tris Speaker, you know, he he, he played. I think it was he played nine years with the Red Sox and uh, with Boston, starting in 1907. But in 07 and 08, he only played seven games in 07, 31 games in 08. So really, he started with the Sox in 09. He had that that that's seven seasons. In those seven seasons, roughly a sixty war. I mean, I, I, I mean, you're almost looking at a ten war every single MVP season guy every year. from him, and he won the MVP. And so, I, you know, he's just a guy that I people probably don't talk about too much, but the appreciation for Tris Speaker. I, I mean, it, the, he was the just two, an, the two tools. Give him a thumbs up. <laughs> I mean, he is just an absolute stud that I feel like is not one hundred percent being recognized enough. But uh, Tris Speaker would be my center fielder for the Red Sox. Give me your three, Alex. Yeah, Travis, we have the same three. It's Ted Williams, uh, my mind, the best hitter ever outside of maybe Babe Ruth. Uh, he is a complete lock for this team. Like you said, the first guy you pencil in, the war says it all, the offense, the numbers say it all. His baseball reference page is littered with all these bold numbers because he was leading baseball in all the important stats every single year. Um, Travis, Carl Yashimsky, one of the most underrated players in my mind ever, honestly. Uh, 23 years as a Boston Red Sox. He was playing until until he was 43 and was still putting up 106 OPS plus as a 43-year-old playing 119 games. Uh, That just shows how much longevity he had. But his MVP season in 67, 
Uh, he won a triple crown, first place MVP votes, a 193 OPS plus. I think that might be higher than any of Trout's seasons he's ever had, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of you know any sort of injury shortened season that he's had, but yeah, that MVP season is, is remarkable from him. He also led the American League in OPS plus four total times, and the defense. Um, you know, there's not many defensive metrics that go branch way far back, but an elite, elite defender, seven gold gloves. Um, people say he was great out there. Uh, three batting titles, so much like about Kari Um Underrated, in my opinion. And then, of course, Chris Speaker, like you mentioned, Travis, had one of the best primes and, you know, played for multiple teams, but there's just no way you can leave him off this list. Definitely. There are other great guys, Travis, that we talked about that deserve mention. Uh, I think Dwight Evans is someone who gets slept on, Travis. I think his defense in right field was elite, had great on-base numbers, probably got knocked for his average in the time, but a great all-time guy, Jim I, Rice. I, go I, on. I have his page up right now, Dwight Evans, and it's just funny because I see the the 67.1 war, and I looked up, and I'm like, oh, I better see a yellow tab that says Hall of Fame, but I don't. It's and it's a snub in my it, mind. It's definitely a snub. You're right. 385 homers, 483 doubles, uh, extra base hit machine, uh, over 4,200 total bases, and you're right. So many gold gloves, a great fielding outfielder. Uh, better hope that a guy like that can get on the Veterans Committee right. and, and get voted in because he is a definite, I think, lock for Cooperstown. Uh, but you said Jim Rice. I think we're uh, at Reggie Smith, too. Jim Rice is a Hall of Famer. Yep. He left off this list, yep. which is crazy. And then, of course, uh, Man Ram. So many big hits. Yeah. Manny Ramirez, World Series MVP in 2004. Uh, so he, of course, you can make an honorable mentions list for this Red Sox team, and it probably beats... I mean, honestly, probably 50% of the outfields we have already said so far. I mean, it is such a good honorable mention secondary outfield 100%. Uh, for that. But I'm glad, of course, we talked about Yastrzemski, Speaker, Williams. Uh, Williams is really no nothing really to talk about for Williams. He's just the greatest hitter to ever live. So yeah. uh, moving on to the DH, Alex. Uh, arguably, I think one of the clutchest hitters of all time. And for me, that is going to be David Ortiz, big poppy uh, at the DH spot. Uh, World Series champion, 04, 07. 2013 retired just before the 2018 world series championship but almost had four rings uh all with the socks of course was a big reason for breaking the curse in 04 uh who do you if you got someone different who, who do you got for dh i got poppy too travis okay. it has to be david ortiz um there's great bats in their franchise history i think you can even argue if you want to you could just say make it manny there's an argument for that so right? true so but true. i think like you said 04 all the great World Series moments he had, he was a Red Sox for a Red Sox for way longer than Manny. Uh, got the rings in the in the in the 2010s when Manny was retired, you know. So that yeah, that's bonus exactly. points there. Um, so many great hitters in their franchise, but I 100% agree that I think for the postseason contributions, the 04 curse breaking year, um, as well as the peak seasons and a great final season. And just great respect from the fans. Poppy, ha there's there's no one else that could possibly beat the Red Sox all-time DH. Definitely, definitely. And so that sums up our offense, a very, very good offense. Definitely goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the New York Yankees, I feel like. Uh, it'd be really fun if these two squads can play together. Uh, yes. that, that'd be a really good game to that see. That would be but, something else. Um, Alex, we'll move to the pitching side of it. And honestly, the Red Sox pitching, I'm going to say, might be the best we've covered so far. The, the amount of names on this staff, it is pretty remarkable stacked um i'll go first then of course you'll go and then we'll talk and discuss if we have any differences but for me alex it's got to be roger clemens pedro martinez cy young lefty grove and last but not least babe ruth uh that is my five give me your five and we'll discuss about any differences so i have four of the same okay i have pedro i have lefty grove 
have Roger Clemens, Cy Young. Those four are just like yep. four of the best Immortals. ever. Immortals, yep. Four of the best when, ever. When the guy's name is the award Cy Young, you got to probably include him in I the think, list. Yeah. I think that might be four of the five most war uh, or four of the top six or something like that were for it's, it's pitchers really ever, and they're all yeah. they all were Red Sox during a big part of their of their career. My fifth pick is going to be Smokey Joe Wood. So very so, nice, someone, good name. <laughs> yeah, a great name, classic name, uh, classic baseball name. But go ahead and talk to me about Babe Ruth's pitching numbers. We know about his bat. That no, was, yeah, that was covering the Yankees. But tell me about his pitching numbers, and we'll t- we'll, we'll discuss. Yeah, it was a I think it was a tw- top uh, top fifteen WAR uh, with the Red Sox in franchise. A thir- I think it was a thirty nine point eight WAR. Uh, but you're right. I mean, spent the first six years of his career as a Red Sox. Of course, the the famous trade of the owner moving him to New York and then, of course, never winning another championship until 04. But just looking, of course, at his stats with the pitching side of things, uh, you know, was won, won the ERA title in 1916, had a 1.76 ERA that season. Uh, with it was a 158 ERA plus, so of course other people had the com- very comparable uh, ERAs. Guys like Christy Mathewson, Walter Johnson, great great pitchers. Uh, but looking at overall the six years, you know a 2.19 ERA. Uh, that's a 125 ERA plus, so definitely of course above league average. I just felt that you know putting up those numbers, almost almost 100 wins in six seasons. Uh, was a total winner and helped them get to a ton of World Series championships. I think they won it in 16, 17, and 18, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, definitely had to be on that list for me for uh, just kind of an all-time winner and also what he was able to do on the mound. Also, I think it's just kind of cool to include him in there. He probably was uh, – I, I really want to see what he was like coming up to the plate. Uh, definitely wasn't as big as he was as a Yankee, but, of course, was still a very good hitter oh, I'm sure. uh, in, in those seasons. But – Give me Smokey Joe, I think his name is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Smokey Joe Wood. <laughs> Smokey Joe Wood, okay. Class, okay. A, a classic name, but yeah, a Red Sox, a Boston Red Sox from 08 to 1915. So I think he just barely missed being teammates. Or were they teammates in 1915? They were teammates probably for like a very short <laughs> stint. You probably gave him a high five on the way out and he was coming in, yeah. So yeah, Smokey Joe, uh, ERA plus numbers for his career in Boston is up at a 149. So a really great eight-year stretch from him. Uh, had an ERA title at a 1.49 in 1915. So kind of funny how very similar era to Babe, where they both yeah. like were putting up these really low ERAs, end of the dead ball era pretty much. Um, multiple seasons with uh, ERA in the ones, and every other season it's in the twos, and that's when he's a Red Sox. So uh, got fifth place in MVP one year. Overall, the ERA plus numbers are great, a 188 one year, a 177 another year. Just great numbers. Uh, workhorse as well. 344 innings pitched in 1912. So a lot to like about this Smokey Joe Wood guy. Uh, led baseball in uh, shutouts one year as well. Uh, just a really interesting career from like this forgotten dead ball era. Travis, one more guy I wanted to shout out to that I had him down and I had to take him off at the very end. I might have his page open right now. Go ahead and talk to me about him. Uh, Luis Tion. That's right. That's right. Uh, Tion or Tion. I, again, Tion, yeah. These Cuban last names. Uh, no, yeah. He was a guy that I was – it's such high consideration – um, I know I think a lot of Red Sox fans would put him in as they're probably one of their one of their guys, maybe in the starting five. Uh, had the ERA title in 1972 with a 1.91. Uh, that it was almost a 170 ERA plus. Uh, had an ERA title again in, in 68, but that was for Cleveland. But again, uh, just a big time winner for the Red Sox. 
uh, played with them for pretty much the entire entirety of the 70s. So pretty much was a 70s Red that Sox team guy. team that went to the World Series. Exactly, exactly. And also I think he was playing with, of course, Yaz and also Jim rice as well so a lot of big Fisk, yeah a, a lot of big names on those red Sox teams in the 70s but of course we're always falling short for those uh for those playoffs uh, you know th- those world series championships but you know uh, just the specials with the workhorse i mean you look at in 73 he had a he had 272 innings pitched in 74 311 innings pitched with 25 complete games seven shutouts he led all of baseball with seven shutouts so Again, just kind of a, a complete workhorse for those Red Sox teams in the 70s. He was definitely a guy I was very highly considering on this team. But give me kind of any anything you want to add on to him. Yeah, I mean, overall, just like super, I think, underrated and was a part of a great era of the Red Sox. You know, um, you can't really call it a dynasty because they didn't win any World Series. But yep. like they were a, a serious threat with some great all-time players on his team as teammates. So I just had to include him. All right, Alex, we'll move now on to the ninth inning closer for the Boston Red Sox. For me, Alex, only the guy that actually we saw a lot of uh, in our lifetime, and that's Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, really, really underrated career, I will say, because he's on the ballot this year. And I think that, honestly, right now, after looking at this, he should get more than 5% of the votes to stay on. Uh, looking at some of these years from 2000, really, honestly, from 2006 to 2011, uh, what a crazy kind of prime with the Red Sox, a 2.33 ERA during those times and a 197 ERA plus uh, with that. And of course, the all time leader in saves with the Red Sox at 219 was definitely a big, big piece in the 2007 World Series championship. I just remember him uh, striking out. I forget one of the Rockies players and Veritek coming and running into his arms. And I love uh, the way he jumped and like, yeah, it was just like complete joy. Possibly the scariest guy on the mound when he was getting ready to pitch because he gave you this death stare and the way his mouth was positioned was hundred percent agree. Uh, it, it just like, I, I would probably be laughing in the batter's box, but, uh, give me who you got for your ninth inning guy. Yeah. Travis, we agree. It's Jonathan Papelbon. He had just such an elite, elite prime, which a lot of these closers do have elite primes, but um, his is definitely something special from 06 to 09. Uh, all-star all four years. Got rookie of the year votes actually in that 06 year. But uh, yeah, in those in that six-year span, sorry, that four-year span, 06 to 09, a 271 ERA plus, a 1.74 ERA. And this is, we're talking 2000s. We're talking to steroid hitters all over the place. And he don't care. He's going he's gonna to take care of business. Um, a big strikeout guy. Um, yeah, 151 saves in just those four seasons. 151 across four seasons. That's just crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, he 100% has to be the guy. Um, and then even even going on in his career, you mentioned the Hall of Fame potential he has. Even going on with Philly, got a, a all-star nod, as well as uh, later in his career with Philly slash the Nats. So, 100%, I think he has to get uh, some serious consideration for that. And one of the, and one of the guys that was able to uh, fight Bryce Harper in, in the dugout. That, that that was always a funny scene that I remember right. in the Phillies. Because I feel like, or I'm sorry, on the Nationals. I feel like his career was kind of like over. He was getting older and was on the Nationals. It wasn't really pitching very good. But He wanted to send a message. And and the Nats weren't having a great season. But, of course, him and Harper, of course, got in in the dugout. It was pretty, pretty uh, I guess, pretty bad moment on both of their parts both guys of course i think apologize but uh just again an interesting moment that we always remember De- definitely iconic yeah definitely definitely but that'll wrap up the red Sox. a very very good team a very good franchise uh for the 121 years but we'll now move to the next and last two teams alex and honestly the blue jays and the rays these are the two last teams we're covering 
these are the teams that honestly in 10 years from now these these lists will be so different yep if it ever all the players stay the same with these teams red Sox, yankees orioles those lists are pretty iconic not many guys the, i don't think the, cedric mullins has taken anyone's spot anytime I, soon right i think like the uh, i'm glad you brought that up because like the yankees and the red Sox, there's like a few guys that have a chance like yeah. Mook, mookie would have had a chance yeah. if he yeah. stuck around but like right now like xander has to do a lot I and mean, he could yeah to, but, to beat no more i mean yeah. he really could but he had to stay there and then of course devers too devers is a shot and then like for the yankees like i think Cole's like the only guy with like a great shot. Um, yeah. Judge is already on yeah. my team. Judge, 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 Judge could crack yours in a few years. I'm and Judge sure. could be definitely a guy on the bench. I think he, sh I think he will probably be a Yankee his his whole career. I I'd be guessing. Um, but you know he's definitely the best possible option right now. I know a lot of people are thinking probably Gary Sanchez or all these other young I think, I think, bombers that just kind of, kind of like faded away. I think Kyle Higashioka is coming up on a bear real quick, Travis. I'll tell you one thing. I think Glaber better uh, – he's going to give Jeter a run for his money at shortstop. You yeah. Know? Uh, I think we all know who the better fielding shortstop is. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Blue Jays and Rays. The next 10 years, this, of course, will be the teams that make the, the most different changes uh, out of any roster I feel like we've ever talked about. So uh, we'll start again with the Blue Jays for the all franchise team and for me alex for the catching position i went with a guy by the name of ernie witt uh so ernie witt i'm pulling up his page right now uh he played with the blue jays actually started out with the blue jays um as uh, at their first inaugural season so again blue jays 45 seasons have been the toronto blue jays since 1977 never changed the name always been consistent but ernie witt started out with them in 1977 and played 12 years with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, 253 average. It's pretty expected for a catcher. Uh, and a, a, almost a 750 OPS with a 102 OPS plus. So a pretty average catcher. Um, honestly, there are a lot of catchers that just did not play that many years with the Blue Jays. And he being there for 12 years. Yeah. Um, he had to make the cut and the list. So he is my guy for the catching position on the Blue Jays. Alex who do you got? I also have Ernie Witt, Travis. Mm -hmm. There's other guys I looked at. Um, Russell Martin came to my mind, actually. Exactly. I think he yep. was there for three years. And I was like, what? Yep. It yep. wasn't yep. even five? That, and it was like crazy. the glory three years. Yeah. Right. And so because of that, Travis, um, Ernie Witt, I agree. A 102 OPS plus for you know a 12-year span is, is good for a catcher because 100 is average for an MLB player. But a catcher, the average OPS plus is going to be below 100 because they're a yep. catcher. They're yep. focusing on you know the defensive side of things. So being an above average OPS plus on a catcher tells me that you're a very solid hitter for a catcher in your in your prime. And yeah, I think overall, you know, got up to 139 games played, 131. So he, you know, he got his time in there uh, catching and uh, Ernie Witt gets a nod. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So we'll move now to the uh right side of the infield and hopefully of course more iconic names this time but alex i'll let you go first first and second base for the blue jays yeah so the the, the first base situation travis is definitely kind of interesting because there's lots of options and they can all they've there's some of them have some versatility with their and we with their, can't use vladimir Guerrero jr yet <laughs> not quite yet maybe in five years he could already be making his case but travis for the time being my first baseman is john olerud Okay. And my second baseman is Roberto Alomar. Okay. So tell me okay. yours and we'll talk. Uh, retweet. Yeah. Same? So, okay. Yeah, and there's another guy at first base that, of course, I think he'll be on our list later on. But John Olerod, uh having some really uh, just sneaky good seasons, of course, was on the team that won back-to-back -back, uh, World Series championships. So uh, was a part of those Toronto Blue Jays teams. But, you know, had a, had a one uh, one season where he had a 363 average, led the AL, led 
baseball uh, MLB with a 473 on base and a 599 slugging, almost a 1.1. It gives, you like, it gives you like Boggs, Wade Boggs vibes because like just getting tons of doubles, great contact, yes. and great discipline. So. Exactly. A 200-hit season that year, 54 doubles, led MLB, got third in MVP voting, and then also was a good fielding first baseman for those uh, Blue Jays teams. And pretty much was the guy from 89 to 96. Um, and then Roberto Alomar. He, he really bounced around from so many teams, but I think everyone really remembers him as a Blue Jay, an elite uh, fielder. And also, of course, a great contact bat uh, for that team and that squad back in that team that era as well. 67 war as a uh, as a career, but I mean, played for Toronto, played for the Padres, Indians, Baltimore, Mets, White Sox, Arizona. So he played just he played so many yeah. different teams. But he spent the most years as a Blue Jay, and all those years, Alex. I mean, I think he won Gold Gloves in every single year and got MVP votes almost in every single year. So uh, definitely an elite bat for those Toronto Blue Jays and of course two rings to his name as well 92 and 93 when the Blue Jays won uh he was their second baseman but I'm glad we of course agreed on that anything you want to add on those two no I mean Olerud like you said like I like I said Boggs ask in my mind with that that combo of discipline as well as contact tons of doubles Alomar like you said very well uh he's one of the best he's like in the top tier of like you know second baseman ever uh definitely like an a plus second baseman so factoring that in with the fact that this was most played team it's an obvious choice definitely definitely so we will now move to the left side of the infield and definitely had some tough time picking these ones out uh, 100% for me I'll go first I'll let and then of course you can give me who you got and we'll discuss but for me shortstop I had Tony Fernandez Mm -hmm. um again a couple years I think Bichette will be the guy of course uh, so he was my shortstop, Tony Fernandez, another 90s guy, fourth all-time in Blue Jays' war. And then for the third base spot, really wanted to go Donaldson, but he only played four years. So we had to, of course, obey the rules on that one. Five years is the minimum. So I had to go with Edwin Encarnacion, played DH, played first base, but also played third base as a Blue Jay earlier on in his Blue Jays' career. So he made the third base cut right there. Encarnacion, Tony Fernandez. Alex, I'll go to you. Who do you got? Charles, we have the same. It is Tony <laughs> Fernandez and Edwin Encarnacion. I'm glad you did that because I felt a little bit dirty about that. Um, the Encarnacion at third base, by no means his primary position, but he played there. Yes. And yes. I think the whole point of this, Travis, is to get, you know, the guys that deserve to be on this team should be on this team. Definitely, and so he definitely. is a bat that is going to be great for this team. Uh, and he played third base, so we can put him there. Sorry, I think, sorry I, if you don't and, like and, it. And I think actually, you no, know, even, even looking at it, he has played. Uh, looking at all the positions that he's played, he actually played one game at second base in one time in his career, I guess, which is pretty that, amazing. I can't believe that. Uh, but looking at all the seasons that he's played, of course, the DH was his primary spot at 766 games, but at 674 games, he played third base. So that is the second most uh, position. How many, how many games he's played in his career third is first base so he is of course uh you know a lot of games at third base and of course a lot of seasons at third base for the blue jays so it makes total sense i think for that there are of course other guys that might have played maybe like 50 games or 100 games at one position and then of course i'll think you know okay maybe it's not the right move to put him there but right uh, and carnacion definitely deserves to have a third base case for that but i, I agree and then tony fernandez travis oh just looking at his numbers 12 years with the team 106 ops plus uh overall like you said fourth in their war for the franchise overall just a very solid player 
um, and had the longevity with the team. Has a 93 World Series ring, four gold gloves. So he completely deserves this spot. But I do agree that if Bichette does stick around, if he ex- if he signs some sort of extension, gets a nice like seven, eight years. I hope the, he does, yeah. A nice seven, eight, nine years with the Blue Jays. He, he has to have a spot in my mind. Easily, easily. We'll, so We'll see when we get there, of course. Yeah. And so that pretty much rounds out our infield for the Blue Jays. Alex, we'll move now to the outfield. Um, I'll let you go first, and then I'll let you hear my rebuttal. Sounds good. Yeah, so Travis, um, I mentioned <laughs> I mentioned already earlier, I felt kind of dirty about the Encarnacion thing. I, I feel dirtier about some most in the outfield, oh, no. but you'll see. So first off, has to be Jose Batista. Okay, good. Uh, Batista, third all-time in franchise war. Uh, some great prime years, a part of those key teams in the 2010s, like you mentioned some of their glory years uh, in modern times for sure. George Bell, Travis, also has to make my team. Perfect. Um, we'll talk about him in a second here. My third spot was someone who played very little outfield, but he did play outfield for the Blue Jays, and it's going to be Fred McGriff. No, sorry, my apologies. Carlos Delgado. Car- Carlos, okay, Car- wow. Car- okay. Carlos Delgado has... <laughs> that, uh, is, that is actually a stunner and i i am stunned so, about that so, yeah. so 12 years played in toronto we, we we all know he deserves to be on this team <laughs> yeah. but his first his first uh Charles, his very first season in 93 he played two games and his number one position was actually catcher which makes no sense at all yeah i, I yeah. didn't know he was a catcher his next two seasons both were not complete seasons but his main position was left field Almost Albert Pujols kind of reminded me of how he started out in left field, right? And then he ended up becoming a DH and then a third baseman for most of his career. But I see two seasons where he was a primary left fielder. Wait, are you talking about Fred McGriff? No, sorry. I'm talking about uh, Delgado. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm looking at Fred McGriff's page right now. No, I no totally problem. was shocked. I, I, no, no. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I misspoke at first. Okay. Oh, yeah. Delgado. Okay. So Delgado is my uh, third outfielder. Technically a first baseman for most of his career but two seasons as a primary left fielder uh, and then two games played at catcher, which is just blowing my mind. But um, <laughs> in 94 and 95 was a left fielder. The batting speaks for itself. Uh, I can only assume he's going to make your squad uh, somehow, some way. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute, but go ahead and give me your outfielders and we'll talk about this debacle. Yeah. So um, outfield, of course we agree, Batista, George Bell. And then the last guy I had was Fern Wells. Okay. Um, so I went Vernon Wells. I think there's a couple other good picks you could may- maybe say. Um, Vernon Wells, for me, of course, just winning, you know, a, a, a multiple silver sluggers and gold gloves and being on multiple uh, all-star teams. I think he was honestly like the high point of the Blue Jays during those like early 2000s, as long as as well as another pitcher. Um, but Vernon Wells, for me, eighth all-time in the, uh, in the career war for the Blue Jays. So he, of course, I really thought had to be on the outfield spot. It was definitely a tough pick because I'm looking at just all these different names and I'm just like scratching my head, like who, who do I give it to? Like, yeah, who, just, who like, wins who's this? Who's this Blue Jay? Like, you know, what, what, what's going on here? So, so that, that, that's why I, I went. That's why I, yeah, I, I went, know, I know. I cheated. I, and I'm, I'm gonna be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty unique pick. But uh, Vern Wells, Batista, George Bell, uh, George Bell, of course, one one of the best I think uh, all time. You know, brute Blue Jays in the outfield had a great. Uh, short stint but good prime for the blue jays yeah i would say underrated honestly and then and then jose batista i mean remember him i feel like just being a complete slugger for the uh for the blue jays in the 2010s i think that i think the gif is gonna live forever of him hitting the 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 walk-off home run or the the big home run and then just stares around and throws the bat that that will live in memes forever so definitely that one and of course or uh uh punch uh in the face from of uh, course yeah 
uh, Rugnet Odor. So uh, Batista is that. And then Vernon Wells is my rounding out pick. But Alex, DH, that's where I go with Delgado. Of course. Uh, Delgado is, you know, again, a guy that I am honestly surprised he is not beginning more Hall of Fame consideration. Uh, you know, a 929 OPS in his career, a 138 OPS plus. Uh, it, you know, it's just some of these guys, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I really don't want to, I really want to know what the, you know, the voters are really looking at. I mean, was 27 home runs away from 500. And I mean, if he hits 500 home runs, he's getting in the hall of fame. Right. I mean, it, it's kind of funny how you have these milestones, um, that I of course very much respect, but he has these, you know, these milestones that if you reach, you're going to get in no problem. Unless of course there are steroids linked to your name, but I mean, one more good season from Delgado. You're looking at 500 doubles and 500 home runs. I mean, that, elite club, a, a pretty elite club, if you ask me. And then 1500 plus RBIs for Delgado as well. A very good walker. Uh, just, just a guy that I mean, honestly, you look back and, and you really wish that we can get a little more consideration. Um, you know, in in the year 2000, at a 1.134 OPS with a 181 uh, OPS plus. Just, just a great hitting first baseman for I feel like a Toronto team that was a very uh you know not a very attractive name back in the late 90s to the early 2000s it's all Red Sox Yankees Devil Rays are not even really a kind of a thought but right. uh you know definitely a guy that I wish would get a little more consideration but uh give me your DH pick uh yeah I love everything you said about Delgado and I agree he has to be in this team I snuck him in the outfield but my <laughs> my DH is another guy who uh, only played five years with the Blue Jays, but okay. it is Fred McGriff. Okay, okay. Uh, and one year was a short year, so it is kind of cheating uh, in, <laughs> in, in, in a small way. But Travis, the four full seasons Damn he played, <laughs> the four full seasons he played were absolutely elite, all-time kind of career years. 17th in, uh, in MVP, then 6th, and then 10th. That's three straight years of just being a really highly considered player. Uh, a 157 OPS plus in, in 1988. The next year was a 165, which led the American League. Led the American League that year in homers and OPS and OPS plus. It's crazy that 89, he leads AL in homers with 36. It feels like that was like very early steroid era and like Canseco and Maguire just weren't hitting 36, I guess, yet. Yeah, so yeah. McGriff had the title that year. Year after that in 1990, 153. Uh, OPS plus just uh, I think overall a very underrated player Travis everything said about Delgado how he has a really good case for the Hall of Fame I think so does McGriff oh uh, McGriff is, is eight, a, eight home runs shy eight I mean, home runs shy and also from Travis all-time uh hits let me see what, what's the number he has uh it's it's 2490 like he's really close to being a 2500 hits yeah, yeah. uh yeah 500 home runs he, like. he he's definitely another crime where it's just funny where if you reach the the magic number of 500 you're in and it's like but you're seven shy and you played a great career yeah yeah part of those great braves championship teams in the 90s uh what was his nickname the crime dog yeah yeah the crime dog he he was a guy that was on the ballot, of course, all 10 years, didn't get in. Again, another guy for the Veterans Committee. Uh, we'll have to think about a fun episode to do in January for, like, guys that just got snubbed. And, of course, we Absolutely. just talk about, like, these guys are easily – I mean, you hit 490 home runs, you should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean uh, – 500 is a great number to hit. Yes, but, like, yes. if you're a couple shy and you also have, like, you know, your top 10 MVP multiple times, like five different times, you're, you're a Hall of Famer. It's just, it's just yes. the way we see it at least. Yes. Um, so Travis, I went with McGriff, uh, Blue Jays, not one of his primary teams, but actually 
tied for the most of uh, of any team he's played with because just the five years, like I said, uh, was five years with Toronto, five years with the Devil Rays, and then five years with Atlanta. Kind of so, like kind of like a Roberto Alomar, I feel like just bit of a journeyman. And, yeah. and I wonder if that's definitely a thing that voters looked at as being passed around from so many teams, and maybe that's not a very good look for like a Hall of Fame case. Most and, people want to see one or two teams because they want to see, I think teams want to be able to hold on to you and, and teams did not figure out that he was very valuable uh, and, a lot of seasons. And so. I will add Travis, his most iconic team, probably the Braves, right? Or even mm-hmm. the Devil Rays, but more war with the Blue Jays than any other team. Wow. Better OPS plus with the Blue Jays than any other team. Wow. Kind wow. of a sneaky pick. Um, I, have, I had to throw him in. I had to do some some trickery. No, Travis, yeah, yeah. My, my team <laughs> straight up has four first basemen. I have Olared, I have Encarnacion, I have McGriff, and I have Delgado. Yeah. But I had to throw them all in. The because defense I, night, night, might, might not be that pretty, but... Alomar uh, make up for it, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. Alomar and Olared will make up for it, but uh, that's good. At least we'll, we'll, we, you know, good discussion on the offense. Alex, we'll move to the top five for starting pitching. Um, I'll go first. For me, I have, starting out, I have... Uh, yeah, Again, might need some help on the last name, but it's Dave Steib. I, I think it's Steve. Steve. Okay, so it's Dave Steve, uh, all-time Blue Jays pitching war leader, uh, and also the most wins in Blue Jays history. And then number second, I have Roy Doc Holiday, Hall of Famer. Um, of course, uh, second in wins and second in war. Uh, I think he had a career uh, 3.43 ERA with the Blue Jays in such a heavy steroid time. Uh, good, good numbers there. And then I had Jimmy Key. He's third on the war for the Blue Jays, third on ERA for the Blue Jays. Uh, and of course, he is fourth on the wins. And then the last two, I had Pat Hentgen, which uh, kind of a iffy name, I feel like. He's fourth on the war for uh, Blue Jays pitchers, another guy that pay- played a lot of years, fifth on wins. Uh, but the last guy, Alex, number five, I have Marcus Stroman. Uh, wow, I was it, not ready for that. Stroman is, uh, he, he's interesting. He is ninth on ERA for the Blue Jays. He played six years with the Blue Jays. Had a pretty incredible uh, postseason run in 2015, I believe. I remember that he was definitely one of the guys they really got behind in there. I think it was an AL, yeah, ALCS run, which they lost the Royals. But I had Marcus Stroman, Alex. I interesting to see who you got we'll discuss yeah, it no yeah. it, very interesting I, I i i'm excited to compare some guys the guy who i have there versus the guy you have um so travis starting off halliday easy pick dave steeb easy pick i also have jimmy key pat hankin these guys um just make sense the stats that they accrued over their careers halliday travis it's crazy that he's already like a hall of famer it's crazy also that he, uh, you know, unfortunately no longer with us. Yes, um, yes. Tragic, of course. And then uh, Steve, I think, is also a very underrated pitcher who is, I believe he's not a Hall of Famer, right? But not he, a Hall of Famer. Definitely one of the biggest snubs that people keep saying is that he is not a Hall of Famer. He, he would be, he'd be a consideration for, like, other rotation for, like, a, a non-Hall of Fame team. Yes. He, uh, leader in, in Blue Jays' war for the whole franchise. And, you know, not a Hall of Famer is pretty crazy. Um, Travis, my fifth pick is Al Leiter. Which is definitely kind of very nice. It's definitely kind of sneaky. He played seven years, but a couple of them were really short. So we'll go ahead and uh, you already talked about Sherman. So let me let me talk about lighter. Okay. Um, so he started out with them, was traded to them in '89, only only pitched one game, <laughs> <laughs> and then the next season he threw six innings, and then an inning, and an inning. So I don't know what was going on there. I can only assume he was hurt or had some sort of recurring injury. But I really like his numbers for the next 
three seasons after that. Uh, a 106 ERA plus, which is, you know, not phenomenal, but he did get uh, increase his workload. And then the next two seasons after that, um, it really just comes down to a very solid 1995 season from him. Uh, a 3.64 ERA plus in like peak steroid era, mid 90s. Yeah. Um, and then has the 130 ERA plus. Overall, Travis, um, not a great pick. In my mind, I think we all know him uh, for some of his better years he had with, like, the Mets. Yes. Um, yeah. But I think he played technically seven years as a Blue Jay, and the ERA Plus was at a 110 wow. for, the, for as a Blue Jay. So, at the end of the day, um, is Stroman. Stroman has, you know, just as much of credit as to be a good pick here. But, um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it feels like a, an easy top four for us, and the fifth guy was kind of the, the hard one. It was tough, and I know just for having – I feel like we always wanted to have a guy that's been, like, on the team most recent, and Stroman, of course, is the most recent guy. Sure. Uh, you know, I, looking at 2015, uh, had a really good postseason with the Blue Jays, like I said, but also came in the last month of the season and pitched four games for the Blue Jays and actually won all four starts. was a very – big reason they won the division that year in 2015 had a 1.67 era 27 innings pitched to finish off the month a 249 era plus so very very elite only five earned runs were giving up in those 27 innings so really liked of course that season uh 2016 had an okay season was you know pretty much league average a 97 era plus with a 4.37 uh era had a really nice rebound season in 2017 with a 3.09 era uh, with a 145 ERA plus, I feel like with him it's it's just like a roller coaster. Very good, decent average. Very good, back to average. Um, and then of course 2019, that was uh, the season where he pitched uh, up till July with the with the Blue Jays and they got traded in New York. But really funny in 19, he had a 2.96 ERA with a and that's a 153 ERA plus. It's better than you know that's Hall of Fame numbers right there. But his record was six and eleven. I mean. Gotta just say I, your team does not love you. I, no. I was about to say the same thing. I just noticed that a 2.96 ERA, but a severely losing record at 6-11 and 11 is pretty crazy. Um, it seems like for me, Travis, that 17 season when he had the 145 uh, ERA plus, that really gets him your spot in my mind because yeah, yeah. he did a nice 201 innings pitched, was kind of a workhorse, which he has been able to kind of maintain for most of his career. And then, yeah, he had the good ERA and was on some good teams. So um, I can't knock the pick at all. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, that'll kind of wrap up our starting pitching, Alex. At least, you know, four of the five pretty convincing, easy picks with, you know, look at war, ERA wins, you know, just all-time Blue Jays. But we'll move now to the ninth inning guy for the Blue Jays. Um, give me your pick, and I'll give you mine for Blue Jays. Yeah, I think it has to be Tom Hankey at the end of the day. Um, Tom Hankey was a part of some important Blue Jays teams and just overall has some really good numbers for a you know for a closing pitcher. So go ahead and give me who you at and we'll we'll talk. Tom Hankey is a guy, uh, yeah. you know, at 217, just kind of blows away the competition. The next guy uh, on the saves list is almost 100 saves less. Uh, really, of course, like the name Roberto Azuna, he was phenomenal with the Blue Jays, a phenomenal closer uh, for his entire career pretty much, but uh, you know, those Blue Jays teams in 2015, 16, 17, good postseason teams. And of course, uh, was a great performer in those in those seasons. So he was, of course, a guy that, of course, you know, not a lot of consideration as I gave Henke, but of course, wanted to look up his stats to see if he compared anything close um, for that. But Henke is, of course, the ERA leader uh, for the Blue Jays in their history, of course, because he's a relief pitcher, but um, 
pretty slam dunk guy. It's really funny that I, I looked at the number seven is Kelvin Escobar, and he he had some good seasons with the Angels. Yeah, uh, he, I think he's he's kind of an underrated pitcher at this. He point. really is. He really is. Honestly, one guy we honestly could have left off maybe our Angels starting five because I look back and he had some really good seasons. I think 20, 2007, him and John Lackey very very high on the on the Cy Young list. I mm-hmm. think Kelvin Escobar might have finished in the top six, but. Uh, Henke for saves though is the guy 100 percent 167 era plus is dominant for an eight-year stretch uh, as a toronto blue jays uh, relief pitcher uh led base oh, sorry led the american league in saves in 87 uh, received mvp votes that year was an all-star that year overall uh, i think a little bit you know a little bit snubbed like he has a world series ring uh, he pitched a good 14 years as a relief pitcher uh the career year raised at 267 is he a Hall of Famer? I'm not saying he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, but some of these seasons are very, very good, and I think yeah. he probably should have got a bit more, a bit more credit. I think, I think, my prediction is time as time goes forward, I think more and more relievers are going to get more and more credit because, you know, it's it's kind of hard to, to say how much how viable these guys are because it's a unique role and the innings pitched, the workload's not huge, you know. Yeah. Yep. But he has like this like 94 innings pitched relief season, a 91 innings pitched relief season. He was a workhorse in the pen, and he deserves, he deserves a spot for sure, and he does a lot of credit for the all-time kind of stuff, I think. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I'm glad we got to highlight, highlight him on the uh, yeah on, on the all-time Blue Jays team and uh, talk a little about him. But that, that pretty much sums up the Blue Jays team. Uh, it's not as attractive as those Red Sox and Yankees teams or the Orioles team, but— There's some, uh, there's some standouts, though. There definitely are. Like, of course, Roy Halladay is a standout name, a great starting pitcher. And then, of course, on the offensive side, Delgado, Roberto Alomar, Ola Rudd. Um, good names but alex we will now move to the fifth and final team and of course this is the tampa bay rays so me and you are pretty much the same age as the franchise 24 years compared to 121 years and some of these other teams but they started out in 1998 as the tampa bay devil rays were was that name until 2007 and then changed the name changed kind of the logo to just the tampa bay rays a much cleaner look and Really funny. That was the year they actually went to their first, uh, made their first playoff appearance and been to the first World Series. So really interesting that they changed the name and the logo and the kind of kind of the colors. And they are so successful in that 2008 season. Um, and then of course is the same name today. Yeah. Well, one thing, Travis, I'll add just to kind of put into context of you know it's a young franchise and not a lot of star power um, historically, just because they've always been kind of a lower budget team. Um, smaller market team yes uh just to put into context folks you if you google or if you search on baseball reference you type in red Sox, you pull up their page it'll show their top like 24 like best war guys in their in their <laughs> franchise right yeah, like their 24 yeah. best players according to base reference war in franchise history you do it for the blue jays they only show you 12 guys i mean the, the rays my apologies. Yes. You do it for the you do it for the Tampa Bay Rays. It only shows you the twelve guys. And I wonder if there's I wonder if there's any other team that's like that. It's probably just them where there's not enough deep history of the team. There's not enough like uh you know, not enough volume in terms of their war. Only yeah, only only twelve players in their history have uh eleven point nine or higher war, which is just like <laughs> yeah. pretty crazy. Like if Mike Trout was on their team for one year and a half, he'd be on this list already which exactly it's just, just kind of mind-blowing but exactly um we can start with the list now but they're just kind of mind-boggling about how you know just to kind of put into context travis some of the guys that are on this team for both of us i assume 
they're not they're, we're gonna break the rule here travis i was gonna say we were gonna break the rules the five years was kind of gonna be thrown out the window for this team maybe a couple other teams are an exception but definitely for this team i, I actually thought they started out in 93 but they started in 98 so they're they're younger than than i am so they're younger uh, than us and there's just most of the great players they've had you look at the numbers and they're either for three years or they're for four years <laughs> exactly so, or they're on the team right now and very very young of course. So. Again, this team will be changing in the next ten years. The Rays, I think, will have a different, uh, a definite, definitely a different outlook on uh-huh. their starting. One hundred percent. All MLB team, but uh, yeah, we'll start out with, of course, the catching position. Alex, uh, who do you got for the all-time catcher? So, I, this is another spot where I was kind of rattling. Yes. And there are guys who played multi. There's there are guys who beat our five-year threshold, but I just. I just felt more comfortable. I, I know you're gonna say, yeah. Do you? I know you're gonna say, yeah. yeah. Are you sure? I think so. Yeah. Do you know? <laughs> Why are you so sure? I, I I I think you chose him for the Mariners too. I did not. Okay, that, so I was gonna I, say Mike Zanino. I was figuring you might have been leaning towards Zanino, but yep. I am not going that way. Okay. I'm actually going with John Jaso. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of an interesting pick in my mind because he only played four seasons there, and there are other guys who played more, but uh, a one oh seven. OPS plus in those four years is pretty good in my mind. A great on base guy, sneaky kind of a three fifty on Suspiciously base. Suspiciously sneaky, yeah. Suspic. I'm getting suspicious of John Jaso because in these four years, a three fifty on base. Uh, the slugging is not special, but overall, um, you know, was a pretty much a career catcher. Uh, shifted to third base when he was like thirty two. So, you know, I'm just gonna be honest. The options are limited here, <laughs> and the 2012 season he had, sorry, that that was with Seattle. the uh, The 2010 season he had was a nice 111 uh, OPS plus, so that kind of got on the nod in my mind. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The 2015 season as a Ray was his best as a Ray, a 134 OPS plus, a 380 on base that season. So he definitely had some serious on base skills um, as a Ray. But the options are limited, folks. So I ended up going with John Jaso. What do you? What do you got, Travis? One hundred percent retweet. Uh, yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. John Jaso is my guy. I, I had to go. I also go past Baseball Reference and look at some other sites because I was just like, I really, I, I'm thinking of Rays, and it's like Deonor Navarro, which is a, a kind of a non iconic <laughs> name, but just a guy that I always think about as a Ray during those terrible years. And then of course Mike Zanino with just being how good power wise he was if, if they were to extend him i think he'd have it locked up in like a easily, couple a couple years easily easily but, um i think he's a free agent in a year or two and, and, and it's funny looking at you know even zanino in 2019 he played 90 games he had a 45 ops plus like he he just oh, he was, is, he's an awful walker and in, 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 in 2020 world series when they had he was just like every time he's at the plate he's i just i knew he was out, out. He's, i yeah. knew he was out yeah and then this year he has this crazy <laughs> offensive breakout where he yes. like he like I think his OPS against like lefties this year was like one was like twelve hundred or something crazy. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, Travis eight sixty OPS this season. Uh, that's a one thirty eight OPS plus. A, a terrible, terrible on base guy. A three oh one on base. Kind of almost. You honestly, know, it's kind of like a Salvador Perez. Him and Salvador are very, well, very comparable. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying, but one thing I will say is the gap between Zanino's contact and his on base is pretty big. Oh, it's it's because he actually so he's actually walking terrible. he's yeah. walk he's walking he he's his on base is very low, but his it's that's partially because his average is so low. He does not yeah. hit singles at yeah. all. Yeah. He just he will walk and he'll hit home runs and that's probably about it. What's but. pretty amazing is this year he had two triples. I mean that is that is really incredible. I think that's more than singles he has. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 70 he has 72 hits, Alex, and of 
72 hits he has 33 home runs so you do the math and the doubles and, and, and yeah. of course i'm sorry double 11 doubles two triples more extra base hits than singles I, I mean i i don't know how many guys do that and it's just yeah. it's kind of just incredible to see a guy like that with just a, a weird stat that he has but a great power hitter uh in zanino but yeah john jaso had to be the guy he um he had some very just kind of sneaky good seasons of course at uh at the rays um and so yeah he's our catcher kind of a sad area to go and cover but alex we will now move to the right side of the infield and this is first and second base i'll go first first base i had carlos pena uh he's actually one of the guys that got traded in the moneyball movie uh to i think it was detroit uh they had they had carlos pena and they're starting him over uh Hatterberg. Hatterberg, yes, Hattie. that's right. But, but Pena had a, actually Pena had actually a really decently good career, uh, 25.5 career war. But some of those seasons with the Rays, I mean, in 2007 and 8, finished in the top 10 of the MVP, won the Silver Slugger in 2007. Uh, you know, looking at 2007, he had 46 homers. 2008, he had 31. And then in 2009, 39, led the AL with home runs. And then, of course, 28 home run year after that so had a really good power stint with the Rays. i feel like so he makes my first base uh all Rays team and then the second base i had to break the rules here alex and i actually went with brandon lau um brandon lau is becoming kind of a very underrated power hitting second baseman right now of course he's only played four seasons in mlb but i mean you just look at these numbers i mean they're the, the home runs are getting better every single year as they go on he had 14 homers in 2020 and that's only short, 56 sh- games yeah the short season i mean we're looking at almost a 45 home run season by a second baseman uh the the slugging numbers are what really stand out to me a 518 career slugging percentage uh about an 860 ops in his career as well that's a 136 career ops plus has had some very very the last two seasons are definitely the big breakout years for brennan lau um alex who do you got for your right side yeah so my first baseman is going to be fred mcgriff okay so fred okay. mcgriff i believe i said earlier i think it was five uh seasons yes. played five with um, braves blue jays and devil rays yeah yeah so the crime dog as they called him but yeah and then charles my second baseman i also do have brandon lau i do completely agree with what you're saying about the uh power surgeons he's having um i just love you know the way he's developed the last two seasons 20 and 21 got top 10 mvp votes both years and i think overall travis he is going to be just a great piece for them as they go forward probably a classic guy they're going to trade for just some reason and get some <laughs> yes. crazy prospect in a, in a year or two from now but overall travis becoming one of the best second basemen in baseball as we speak um, so for that, Travis, a team that has this little history, uh, he makes the cut for me, even though he only has the four seasons. Going over to McGriff, Travis, um, he was a Tampa Bay Ray. I'm trying to find the years. Uh, from 98, 99, So it was 2000, an inaugural season guy. 2001. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And then, so, and then, of course, his very last season, age 40, he came back for 27 more games. But as a, as a Ray for his uh, career, a 122 OPS plus, a very good 38 on base percentage. Not great slugging because he was getting a bit older, but still some good overall. Uh, decent power years, at least. Uh, I see, where's the home run numbers? 20, where are we at? 32 home runs in 99. So still had some pop in his bat. Uh and that year, actually, I actually like his numbers a lot. In 1999, a 310 average, 
405 on base, 552 slug. That's good for a 142 OPS plus on 32 homers, 30 doubles. So overall, he still had some juice left in the tank, even though he was age 35. So I went with McGriff at first base. Um, but I like Pena a lot. I might have him somewhere else. So that's funny. I might have a Griff somewhere else as well. So. Interesting. <laughs> uh, that yeah, that sums up, of course, our right side. Uh, moving to the left side, Alex, uh, third base, probably the first guy I put on the list at third base. It's Evan Longoria, the uh, career uh, WAR got the got, has has the uh, highest WAR in the Rays franchise. So Evan Longoria is pretty much Mister Ray. I would definitely say right now uh, at third base, and then shortstop. I went with a guy that honestly played everywhere, and that is Ben Zobris. I had to include him on this list. I know you can put him at tons of different spots. You can, right. I, I, you possibly could even put him at catcher, maybe. He might have had a couple stints at the catching position. Um, I'm actually checking now. He did not. So I was uh, going to say, if I missed that, I'd be pretty upset. Yeah. So, but, so, sorry, sorry, Jason. But he played, I think, honestly, over 100 games at first, second, third, short, and the outfield in his career, and also with the Rays. So... Ben Zobris is my shortstop, uh, just kind of an all-time, you know, you super utility guy, super, super big on, of course, World Series championship teams with the Royals and the Cubs, had, of course, the biggest hit in probably Cubs history. So uh, Ben Zobris is my guy at shortstop. Evan Longoria easily is my guy at third base. Who do you got for your left side? Yeah, Longoria is the third baseman. There's no discussion. Leader in war for the franchise by quite a lot. Um his Hall of Fame case is going to be very interesting when he hits the ballot. He will have a chance to be their first Hall of Famer, which could be super exciting. Yes. Um, but yeah, Travis, looking at um, looking at Zobris, he also is my shortstop. Like you said, he could go anywhere. Uh, I wanted him at second base. I like him as a second baseman a lot. But um, Lau is just has too good of a reputation so far, and it makes sense to push him to shortstop because that's where the, I feel like there's a there's a there's the bigger hole there. Definitely. Other options were like. Uh, Julio Lugo and just some others and I didn't feel great about some of the choices so Zobris I think Wander Franco might be a better shortstop than Julio Lugo (laughs) yeah which is pretty sad to say but yeah I think Wander Franco in five years once he hits our minimum threshold will have this spot most likely and Zobris can shift to somewhere else um, which will probably be good for the team but yeah Travis his peak seasons he had some great years in 09 a 149 OPS plus legitimate MVP kind of bat and able to play second base and outfield and shortstop, as well as first and third. He was playing everywhere that year. Um, one, Like I said, 149 OPS plus, over a 400 on base. So good contact, also good walking, plus the defensive versatility. An underrated player with 44.5 career war. But honestly, the war kind of sells you short because he's the utility aspect he brings, it's just such a, it's such a help for the manager of where... He's so flexible that that is not even factored into the numbers, right? It's like a bonus on top of the career war. So he's honestly, in my mind, a sleeper that, you know, should get a little bit more Hall Hall of Fame credit than he's probably going to get. He's probably not going to get that many votes in my mind, but we'll see when that time comes. Uh, But yeah, that's my left side for sure. Perfect. Lock lock it in. Perfect. We'll start again with the outfield now with the three outfielders. Alex, I'll let you go first with your three uh, Rays outfielders. Okay, so starting off, uh, Carl Crawford, yep. second in career war for the franchise. Just a uh, stolen base triples guy, you know? I mean, yeah. so much speed. Yes, insane speed, um, a solid bat. Had good years with other teams too, but I think Carl Crawford, I think of Rays. So. I, I, I think Dodger fans will, will love to hear the name Carl Crawford. I think he <laughs> I think he was the biggest bust of that, uh, that, of course, acquisition. I just remember him going to the Red Sox. 
after 2010 had a top seven MVP finish, gold glove, silver slugger as an outfielder, went to the Red Sox. Just, I, I mean, I complete bust. I mean, just one of those guys that was. It doesn't not, work out sometimes. A, not a performer. And then, of course, traded the Dodgers. And, of course, didn't really work out too with the Dodgers either. But um, go on, of course, the outfield. Yeah. Yeah. So my first pick has to be Crawford. Um, second pick is going to be Kevin Kiermeyer. And Kiermeyer is someone who is going to be very underrated when it's all said and done. Already has 30 career war. He's 31. So if he were to keep playing defense at the level that he plays for seven, eight more years, he could be looking at like 50 war. And you, you think of him as like a very average hitter, maybe below average hitter, but his glove is just that special that it makes him like one of the more valuable players in their franchise history for sure. Um, if, if he had a five war this next season, 5.0, he'd be second all time. So, Which is crazy because <laughs> you think of him, he's, like he said, an average bat. He, Travis, in 2015, in 2015, his offense was a 99 OPS plus. So wow. by definition, he's average. <laughs> an average, one step, one step below average. But he got 17th in MVP votes and he had a 7.1 war. Wow. It's all 7.1 more, and it's all coming from the defensive side of the, of the ball. So uh, he's a very uh, underrated player because of how important his defense is to that team. He knows it, and, and the Rays know it. So he makes the team for sure. And my third tr- pick, Travis, is going to be B.J. Upton, Melvin Upton Jr. It goes by two different names. But go ahead and give me your three, and we'll, we'll talk about them. Yeah, so uh, Carl Crawford, of course. I, I, I always feel like he was, before Longoria, I feel like he was Mr. Ray growing up because he was just mm-hmm. the only, like, bright spot for the devil rays team uh for what he brought to the brought of course at the leadoff position but call crawford kevin kiermaier of course as well yeah i mean the, the war speaks for himself just defensively he is an absolute stud uh but i actually went another wet route for my last outfielder alex and he played a little bit of right field uh for the devil rays but i went aubrey huff okay so uh alpha male yeah <laughs> alpha male aubrey huff uh, started out with them in 2000 and played till uh, 2005, but I think he had another short stint with them later on. Yes, I actually played with them in 2006 as well, but uh, seven years with the Devil Rays, uh, a 287 batting average uh, and an 819 OPS. It's a 116 OPS plus, uh, 128 homers, uh, almost 500 RBIs and 172 doubles. So uh, just... You know, I guess the only bright spot I feel like on the Devil Rays team in those early years uh, when there really wasn't too much to be uh, cheering for, you know, he came to the field and almost every single year, uh, you know, in 2003 and four was a 30 home run guy and a 100 RBI guy. So just kind of that consistency also with a lot of doubles as well uh, with a very good uh, batting average 311 and of course a 297 batting average uh, and uh, you know 145 OPS plus in 2003 so I just feel like he had some good seasons with the with the Devil Rays uh, BJ Upton who of course I feel like we all remember from BJ but he changed his name to Melvin Upton uh, and then uh, yeah his career of course I think kind of faded after the after the uh, Tampa Bay Devil Rays but um, pick me kind of why you went through him yeah so I I I'll tell you honestly, Aubrey Huff did not cross my mind slightly. I did not was not aware he. Yeah, I'll give you props because I was gonna say what is this pick, but no, there's two different seasons where he's prim- cheating too. His yeah. primary position, no, I mean two, but two of his seven seasons, his primary position is said to be right field. So 
uh, that's fair in my book. That's fair game. Uh, one of the years was, you know, not great in 99 OPS plus, but there's some other years where he did put up uh, all-star level numbers, even though he did not get any all-star nods in those years. But yeah, Travis, based on how limited the options are, I can't knock that pick at all um, in terms of what he was able to produce for the Tampa Bay Rays in the field. I know we all want to say Randy Rosarena already. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, I really, really do. I, really I, I thought you were going to say that, and I was going to be like, okay, that's that's fine. But I, in my head, I was like, all right, give me give me someone out. Rookie though. of the year, bud. No, exactly. But I mean, postseason, go. Yeah. He's already he's already a Ray, a lifetime yeah. Ray. So, yeah. But, but for, for, for Melvin Upton Jr., for BJ Upton, um, there's just some good peak years that honestly, uh, a 136 OPS plus in 2007, uh, 24 homers, uh, stole 22 bags as well. Uh, I like his slash, a 300 average, 386 on base, 508 slugging. So kind of, kind of checked all the boxes for me in some of his best years with the team. Also like a 114 OPS plus in like 2011. Uh, for for the Tampa Bay Rays on his career, it's eight years and it's a 105 OPS plus. Um, I think he played some good defense, but honestly, like I think it's just a matter of limited options. Um, he was with the team for a good amount of time and was a starter through and through. So. Uh, I think he deserved the spot. A big stolen base guy, actually. I'm just yeah, noticing. Yeah, two, two, saw it too. 2008 to 2010 was 44 steals, 42 steals the next year, and 42 the year after that. So definitely some impressive stuff going on there. Um, good amount of doubles too. So he was able to be a very productive, I'd say, during his prime as a Ray. But um, a 105 OPS plus, it just kind of shows that we're just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And I, again, I want to go with a guy like a Rosarena, already a postseason legend. Um, you wish you can kind of add him to this list, and you know I mean, what? And there were other guys where, like, I feel like maybe in like two or three years, like a guy like Margot could surpass a guy like BJ Upton. Honestly, definitely, definitely. Even if they had Tommy Pham, still, he was a great uh, producer for the Rays. Uh, or if Renfro stuck around, or, you just... know, Renfro too. You know, there, there's so many guys that the Rays have that, of course, I, I feel like with the Rays, it's it's very uncommon for a guy to stay there for five years they like to get what they can get from them and then give give get them get them out of there yeah, get to get prospects get them out and then re- retool which of course is a lot of people of course will will not like that and of course it's, it's a smart business decision for the race and that's why they've been so successful i feel like um getting kind of the talent when the talent is over for certain players get them out of there get new talent in there start rebuilding kind of again but right um yeah again these 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 raised players where it, it was a tough one to uh to make these ones but let's move on to the dh alex and this is where actually i went with fred mcgriff so you might have went with the guy that i had at first base but i went fred mcgriff of course everything you said spot on a great career uh with the devil rays and of course was an inaugural uh devil ray uh, as well so yeah uh like like i said earlier uh pena your first baseman does make my list as my dh flip-flop okay um i'm i was about to say I'm just kind of interested as to like why you go Pena first base instead of DH or, or McGriff DH instead of first base. I'm looking, I guess Pena does have a gold glove. I was going to say, I figured his defense would not be very good. And that's just based on kind of my gut feeling about it. And I was going to say, I think it's basically just me watching the Rays when Pena was at first base. So it's right. like, I will think of him as a first base. He had some sure. monster home runs, I think, against the Red Sox in the ALCS in 2008. I, I don't know why I just all these postseason memories just locked into my brain. Uh, but had, it, had a couple huge swings, uh, balls that, you know, went oppo over the green monster. So, wow. uh, of course in that 2008 run, uh, very, very special, but yeah, that, that's the reason why I think I just, cause I've seen him play, uh, first base, first base which, yeah. which makes sense. Um, 
you can also give them the, I mean, both actually five years with the team. So I think very comparable, those two. Definitely. Pena and McGriff both deserve to be in the list, and we snuck them both in. So uh, overall, very similar teams for us, but we can move on to probably the starting pitching now. Starting pitching, we can. And of course, I, you know, with us breaking the rule a little bit, I think this, came a, this became a little bit easier uh, for me at least. But for my five starters, Alex, I have David Price, James Shields, Scott Casimir, Blake Snell, and Tyler Glass now. So those are my five guys. Let's see who you got. So four are the same, and one is going to be different. Okay. So the first four were the exact same. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, it's Price. He's part of those kind of like teams that we're talking about. Yes. Uh, As Cy Young winner. Shields, Kazmir, uh, both you know good veterans for the team. Snell, that and that that Cy Young that Cy Young year really stands out in a Definitely. big way. My fifth pick is actually Alex Cobb, who is very was an nice angel last season. Um, I'll talk about his numbers, but talk to me about Glass now, and then we'll go back and forth. You know, Glass now. I think it's been I think it's been three seasons now. He's been with the Rays ever since he got traded from uh, you know. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh for, for yeah. Archer. And of course, you look at that, you know, Tampa Bay just won that trade. I, I looked at Archer to be a, a Tampa Bay Ray, honestly, and, and he didn't quite make it. It's funny because these names all kind of come back and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's Archer. There is, you know, Matt Moore. There's Alex Cobb, you know, all these other guys. Jeremy Hellickson, who was a rookie of the year for the race. But for me, of course, uh, Glassnell, I mean, the last, the last three seasons have just been really, really dominant. I mean, he only had 12 starts in 2019 but you know a 1.78 era uh you know a great era place of, of course but only 60 innings pitched that season 2020 of course was a shortened season had a little bit of a, a little north of a four area 4.08 uh era that season but of course very very good in the postseason and then this season i know he didn't pitch that much uh got injured but honestly from what he was doing this season, I, I'm really confident that he would, of course, be a top three in the Cy Young and possibly could have been the winner from what the Rays did this season. Just imagine how much better they'd be with Glass now on the mound without the whole sticky substance thing just being thrown away in the middle of the season. I mean, right. I think, that, of course, that was definitely possibly something that was, you know, it really helped the injury, uh, you know, having to change kind of your whole entire mechanics. But Glass now, I just feel like, is definitely the pitcher for the Rays for the for the future right now. And, um what he's done, I feel like the last, you know, what he's done so far at the Rays' career, I think it definitely, uh, he definitely has earned a spot uh, on my starting five. So, sure. Uh, and you had, in your last one, you had Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb. So, yeah. uh, I guess the main reason, I think Glass now in one year might make my team, um, but never a season with the Rays with more than 88 innings pitched. So, definitely, yeah. Exactly. Um, that's just the one knock is. Not only just not that many years, but even the years that he is there, um, he maxes out at 14 games started. And I'm not gonna knock. I don't want to knock him for injuries, but I just need a little bit more of a sample size for, for that's just for, for my taste. Um, but like you said, he would have been a sign contender for sure uh, this season. And I think going into next year, a year after, he is someone to keep their, your eye on for just you know someone who's going to be dominant for that team. Alex Cobb, Travis, um, looking at just his raise stats only. Six years as a Ray, so he beats Glass now there. 700 innings pitched, so had a bit of a workhorse dynamic going, at least uh, consistently above average with the innings pitched. Yep. A 112 ERA plus back-to-back -back years in 2013 and 2014 where he had like over 140 innings pitched and a below three ERA. He had a 276 in, uh, in 2013 and 2014 a 2.87 ERA. 
both those years were above 130 ERA plus. So I think overall he was just kind of a consistently good pitcher, um, even in his worst years. Uh, when they were complete seasons, he was around average. And then um, one really bad year, but he, he, he pitched 22 innings. I think there must have been injury there. But uh, overall, his stats as a Ray overall, a 3-5 ERA, very solid, I think, um, based on the, the workload. So he gets my spot. Other guys that were like kind of in the conversation, like Archer, but like overall, like in terms of all-star pitching, I think the top four is very solid. And then, like, the fifth spot will be Glass now is in a few years. But for me, I went with Cobb for now. Yeah, I think Price, Snell are easy ones because of Cy Young winners, which is is pretty funny how you make this list. And it's just like they want a Cy Young. They're automatically on this list. Oh, for sure. So easily. And then, of course, James Shield, just being a guy that ate up so many innings. Um, you know, you look at, you look at you know, on the Rays all-time top 10 leaderboard for pitching. Uh, he's on there for, you know, game started, games completed, shutouts, uh, you know, innings pitched. He's just a workhorse for the Rays. Also, the most wins in franchise history with 87. So again, that bull should be beaten pretty, pretty soon. Hopefully, 87 wins is your, you know, your franchise record is pretty. Uh, I'm not gonna say sad just because of how young they are, but uh, definitely is kind of crazy that they don't have a guy that's been there for you know like 10, 15 years as a franchise guy. So uh, James Shields, easy guy, and then of course Scott Casimir. I think he was definitely the leader in that 2008 team that went on to win or win the al pennant but losing the world series but uh definitely of course a good list uh sad list kind of but mm. uh you know good list of course to talk about alex we'll move now to the ninth inning and this is for the Rays closer uh again i broke the rules on this one again so i think you the way the way you're looking right now it looks like you broke the rules too so uh, give me who you got for your ninth inning closer. I actually did not break the rules, Travis. You did not. Okay. I followed the rules for the closer. Finally. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's see here. So I picked a guy with six years pitched, a 138 ERA plus, 277 ERA. This guy is Jake McGee. Jake McGee is my Very pick. Nice. Um, was not always their closer. Sometimes just a reliever, which happens a lot with the Rays. They don't always go with the ninth inning guy. Sometimes they just go with. A, bullpen and manager it is up to you to decide who fits the circumstance best so only one year uh did he have double digit saves which was 2014 but was a reliever through and through and had some great era years in tampa bay travis tell me who your closer is so i'm with the guy that only pitched for two years and that is fernando rodney okay for the rays pitched for them in 2012 and 2013 2012, Alex, he had almost a Zach Britton-like season, um, 70, almost 75 innings pitched that season, a .60 ERA, 48 saves, uh, a 641 ERA plus. But, of course, I, 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 I love mentioning that, but I feel like it doesn't really have too much context because it's like he only pitched 70 innings or something right. like that. But still, an elite close that year got MVP votes, got top five in Cy Young in 2012. And then in 2013, had a 3.38 ERA season. So, of course, uh, a decline, but not a terrible decline because that's still a really good season. 37 saves that year for the Rays. Of course, two years in 85 saves uh, for the Rays. Just kind of crazy if you kind of expand that to like five years. He would have, of course, the all-time uh, saves number for the 
uh, Tampa Bay Rays, which right now is 101, which is Roberto Hernandez, which I'm surprised we did not go for uh, just right. for an easy guy to talk about. But for me, Rodney, I think just that 0.6 ERA season is just something that is just kind of like stands out insane. Even though when I think of Rodney, honestly, I think of Detroit Tigers for, for some reason. I mean, he pitched a lot of years for Detroit um, and, of course, pitched for the Angels. Pitched uh, literally another guy. I think he. I think he honestly might have more than ten teams he's pitched for in his career, which is just. I would not be surprised. It's pretty crazy that a guy gets. You know, relievers of course get passed around so much, but uh, Rodney with that season for the Rays. Um, even looking at his profile picture, I mean, it's funny how his hat just gets more and more sideways. As a, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I was, if he pitches, I think he's still pitching in like some other league. It's I think crazy. I, I think I saw him pitching in the Dominican league, and it's like this guy's like 45, and, and his hat is full sideways, and, and he's I throwing he, gas. I, I I remember I think I saw him run for a bunt, and he like tripped and fell, and like the crowd <laughs> just going wild, and it's just like it's like a ruckus in like Dominican Republic, and I was just like this, this. He's probably enjoying his time so much being back home and being just an mlb like standout but it's just funny looking at this guy and like what he's the the, the hat thing is pretty funny i mean it, it, please if you guys have time go to his baseball reference and you can see his hat <laughs> going more and more sideways so uh pretty crazy guy but uh yeah so fernando rodney is my guy um but, another guy alex is alex, alex is it columet columet uh i think it's columet columet yeah he he of course had another another you know he is an outstanding closer for the Rays as well and, and and someone else who has a great peak here like we're talking about is nick anderson who yes if we're, if we're talking about yes, short short right. short really good primes but yeah charles i now just pulled up rodney just to see the hat and it is, <laughs> it is, it is very, you just gotta start laughing it, it is. is very tilted and if you if you if you click on the picture or you just go over it and you see the four other pictures and it just it just it just grows you, you just go back from his early days in detroit and he looks like a like the hat's the natural ball player and then the hat just gets more and more sideways it's like what's your goal here dude to get the hat like backwards are you supposed to do a full revolution that's like your entire career yeah it's like, it'll, it'll be backwards when he's 56 i, I, I don't and, know uh, how you can focus that way but yeah and i think he's one that did the whole uh he did the whole crossbow or the whole uh, bow and arrow thing whenever he finished oh, uh, a yeah. save but uh the, and he, I, he iconic did, angels moment right there iconic angels fans might remember he did it early after an eighth inning i believe i think he pointed it at yes. the dugout uh it was yes yes at the dugout yes and, and it's like dude like okay first of all it's the eighth inning yeah, and then you had uh, you pretty much just made Pujols, you made Pujols and uh, Albert, and sorry, you made Albert mad, Pujols right. and Trout mad, and they they did a nice little, uh, I believe it was a uh, went first base all the way to home for yeah, Trout yeah, off, yeah, off yeah. of Pujols blooper double. So that's right, it was a blooper over, over first base. That's right. And so with with and then I think and we were his old team anyways, which is just all, all just weird on all, on all accounts. But Travis, briefly, my closer was Jake McGee. Very good. Pick. I think he's underrated um, overall. Looking in 2012, 69 games he appeared in and had a 1.95 ERA. In 2014, 73 games appeared in for 71 innings, a 1.89 ERA. Just a great lefty. I'm sure they're using him for a lot of favorable matchups. But um, at the end of the day, Travis, looking at his career numbers, a 2.77 ERA in six years. For Tampa Bay, interesting. Okay. A 2.66 ERA when his one year in LA for the Dodgers, which is great. A 2.72 ERA this year for the Giants, but Colorado, his four years there totally messed up his career ERA because it's up at a 4.78. That's the Coors Effect, baby. And because of that, his oh, that baby, yeah. His his career ERA is not very good. It's at a 3.5 for a reliever. It's not bad, but it's just not elite. 
But I think if you kind of focus in on, on the non-Colorado years, he's been a great closer for the last decade. So I give him some props, and he's my guy for this team. But Yeah, and that was a good thing you looked at because I did not. I, the, the Colorado thing just totally went by me. But he, And he was a guy, of course, you talked about last offseason for Angels to go out and get. And then look what he does with the Giants. I think he signed, like, honestly, Alex, I think he signed, like, a very – I think it, it was favorable. I could, yeah, I could, I could try to yeah. find. I think right now, I, I think last year he made he made two million. It says. Yeah, he signed a two-year, five million dollar contract. I mean, I mean, I mean, what what were you doing last year, Angels? But this guy, I mean, yeah, I mean, his he, his 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 numbers on Statcast were really great for that short twenty twenty season. He was just great at getting weak contact, and he's a lefty who Angels didn't have many lefties at oh, all. Man. Instead, he went and got Alex Claudio, which gives me a headache. Unfortunate, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I loved McGee's numbers after that short Dodger season, and he was getting a bit older, so I thought we'd get him for cheaper, and he did go for cheap. The Giants played really smart last year. but They did. They definitely did. Um, and and I, he's been a big pitcher, I mean, his whole career pretty much uh, outside Colorado. But yeah, Right, and so, Travis, with all that in mind, we think we're pretty much good in the Rays. Enough talk about them. <sighs> we can move on to our American League East all-time team. Uh, and I will clarify it. There are no Rays or Blue Jays in my starting nine offense. So I think I think I'm I think I'm the same. I'll have to double check. But I think I think we're on the same page there. <laughs> I'll throw that out there because of those two franchises. But of course, the Blue Jays rising, and of course, the Rays rising with those guys. But we'll of course start with the catching position, Alex, for the all-time AL East. Um, definitely a good debate between Barra and Fisk. I feel like those are the two main picks for me. Yep. Um, I went with Barra. Barra being the winner, three MVPs, um, everything that he brought to the table. Also, of course, playing. All those years in the AL East, um, he's got to be my pick. What do you have there for catcher? I have Barrett too. I, I am a big Fisk fan. I think he, I think he's like top five in WAR for catchers ever. But um, even even if even if the WAR numbers might slightly favor Fisk, you you just have to look at the fact that half his career was in the in the division, or his Barrett's entire career was in the division. That has to count for something in my mind. And the bat overall for Barra the best hitting catcher of his time Definitely. and the fist was probably the best catching header of his time uh, Definitely. next to bench probably but uh yeah i think at the end of the day um good cases for both but barra with the winning and with the entire career in in the new york has to be him definitely definitely and we'll move now to the right side of course and alex for me i'm still keeping it yankees i got lou gehrig at first easily and then second base i have robinson cano still um the biggest challenger for cano was i think roberto alomar uh for the blue jays uh being such an elite gold glove you know fielder he definitely had a lot of consideration also though with playing um you know looking at the ops numbers and ops plus numbers i think very comparable to cano's numbers but i think with cano just being a great having a good average and then also the ops being i think it's like 860 for his time in new york um had to go with cano just of course what he provides as well just the power not many second basemen emily history can provide what cano can provide um at the second base spot also being so smooth at the second base spot i feel like his fielding alex and the way that he uh just threw some of those baseballs over from second base it was so smooth that I feel like it was almost like a Griffey swing. Just mm -hmm. the way that he was just fielding it and effortlessly making such tough plays look so easy with Cano. And then, of course, next time at bat, hitting a, a, a double-deck shot at Yankee Stadium. And you're just like, oh, my goodness, what can this guy not do? Uh, one of the greatest swings, too. He has a say, very smooth swing. But that's my that's my right side. Yeah, um, 
anything else you want to comment or of course go to your list yeah i i will i will just add on to what you said i think his lefty swing was one of my most feared swings as a kid just watching angels angels versus yankees and i just feared what cano might do at the plate with that just big big there's a really sweet swing the, the swagger to with him was like it was second to none yeah 100 percent. but travis my first baseman lou gehrig has to be uh best first baseman ever is what i already said about him so how could i go with anyone else um the numbers speak for themselves my second baseman is gritch okay so it's okay it's it's, 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 it's probably a surprise for you um seven years in baltimore for gritch versus it looks like nine years yes nine years as a yankee for cano so an interesting comparison there cano does have a 126 ops plus as a yankee whereas gritch has a 127 ops plus with baltimore that's pretty much the same that's a wash in my mind um i love gritch's defense his defense gets rated very well and some of his peak war seasons, Travis, are just super impressive. In 73, 8.3 war. Next year, 7.3 war. Next year, 7.3 war. Next year, 6.1. And then he goes to California. So I think Gritch's prime definitely gets slept on. I think Cano is a great player. And if not for the steroid stuff, I do think he'd be a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer after mm-hmm. the multiple suspensions. You said you were going to factor that in. And because of that, he might be the pick. But for me, yeah. I did factor in a little bit. I think Gritch uh, was a great player, should be in the Hall of Fame, will be someday, in my opinion. Um, for me, he got to my spot. He's my second baseman. Definitely. Okay. Okay, good pick. Uh, I mean, the war, is, of course, is the one thing that just sneaks up on you with Gritch. You don't yep. really think about it. You look at the overall numbers, and you're like, it's 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 decent. But you look at the war in those seasons, very strong for Gritch, uh, with Cano, of course, just being, uh, I think, a tad short on that part. But... Uh, that sums up the right side of the infield. Alex, we'll go to the left side of the infield. Um, I'll let you start, and then, of course, I'll have my rebuttal. Okay, so I'll actually start with third base. My third baseman is Alex Rodriguez. Um, I, It's hard to say if he's a shortstop or third baseman. Obviously, in the AL East, he'll be a third baseman because the Yankees. Definitely. But for his career, he has a case to be the best third baseman ever. And he's a case to be the best shortstop ever. Pretty so incredible. He had to be in this team. So he's my third baseman. Uh, the numbers are just unreal. Uh, and then my shortstop is actually probably a surprise. I'm going with Cal Ripken Jr. So go ahead and give me your, your two and we'll talk. Yeah. Third base, it was a good debate. I looked up, you know, Wade Boggs and Rodriguez. Uh, one reason why I really like Wade Boggs is that he played for the Red Sox, Yankees, and Devil Rays. It helps. Yeah. All AL East. So if you're looking at just AL East numbers, his whole career is the AL East. That was my really only consideration with Boggs. Also, of course, not any sign of steroids like A-Rod had, but um, had, of course, go with A-Rod at third base. Shortstop, of course, it was, it was honestly a tough one. Jeter, Ripken, went with Jeter. Um, I could see Ripken, better war, more home runs, um, kind of just a, you know, of course the Iron Man factor of it all. But for me with being with Jeter, um, I think Jeter had a better OPS plus and a better OPS and of course a better average. I think the one thing about Jeter that I just, again, I, I, I am so uh, like almost addicted to about his stat line is almost having 3,500 hits. I mean, did not he did not only just have 3,000 hits, he completely shattered the 3,000 hit mark with uh, almost 3,500. Um, he was definitely approaching some of the all-time greatest players of all time. And I think also with also, with, with being just a postseason uh, juggernaut, 
uh, I think it was 162 games he's played in the postseason, or, or he's played a full season of postseason baseball. Right. And the postseason numbers, of course, you look at are like most hits, most home runs, like all this exactly. Kind of stuff. What, what one of the one of the one of the one of the greatest postseason performers, if not the greatest postseason performer of all time, um, that is Derek Jeter. You know, 308 batting average in the playoffs in his career. That's 158 games. He has a 310 batting average in his career. So it's so funny that his postseason and his career are almost the same batting average. But, um, you know, just what he's able to do in the playoffs, 20 home runs. I mean, 20 home runs in the playoffs. Uh, that is pretty remarkable. So give me why you think Ripken. Um, and, you know, we can discuss a little more if, you, if we have time. Yeah, sounds good. Um, you mentioned the postseason stuff. So I just scrolled down on Ripken's page real quick to look at his postseason stats. Has a ring in 83 with Baltimore. Also, a 336 average in the postseason. It's only 28 games, which is a good amount. But yeah. compared to Jeter, no one's going to come close. Yeah. Um, only one home run from him. But, you know, a good 10 doubles, 37 hits, um, a 411 on base in the postseason. That's all postseason stuff for Ripken. For Ripken's career, Travis, which really what it comes down to, the the postseason, it could be like maybe like a tiebreaker. But, like, in baseball, we really care about which did in the regular season. And some of the war numbers he was able to put up, Ripken, is really incredible. He had a 10 war flat in 84, the year the year after he won the MVP. So he goes rookie of the year, MVP, then 10 war season. Then a couple of stretches of good years, starts that whole famous uh, consecutive games played streak, which uh, is probably going to stand at this time for a long time. Uh, Mr. Iron Man, of course. Keep scrolling down, Travis, in 1991, an 11.5 war season. Has to MVP award as well. Has to be one of the best shortstop seasons of all time, quite honestly. Uh, led all of baseball in total bases that season. Has a gold glove as well. A 162 OPS+. plus. Um, so Jeter has, I think, the OPS plus advantage for the career, which is obviously a great plus for his column. But I think that... Ripken has the advantage for your peak seasons. Who was the best hitter at their peak? I think I'll take Ripken's best seasons at the plate over Jeter's best seasons at the plate and probably defensively as well. Uh, Jeter going to be a guy with more stolen bases, so that's another plus for his column. But I think it's a really interesting debate between those two guys. Um, both have these incredible feats, which is for Ripken, it's the Ironman streak. And with uh, Jeter, it's you're going to the postseason every year and doing this, putting these extra miles on your body and still getting 3,500 hits. But a nice, an almost 3,200 hits for uh, for Rick Ripken himself. I think a great defender in Ripken. Overall, two of the best shortstops ever for sure. My nod goes to Ripken. Um, I was surprised. I thought I would have gone Jeter, but I like the numbers a lot for Cal. Um, two legends though for sure, and both picks can't be viewed as bad at all. They're they're, they're great. I definitely agree, and I, I I think if of course you were to ask America the popularity contest, Jeter is going to win a hundred percent. Right. Mean, I mean, people the were Yankees fans versus Orioles fans is not close. It, it, it's funny how you know when he did not get the unanimous Hall of Fame vote. You know, I was also stunned. I was like, wow. But you know, one voter did not vote for Jeter um, for probably different different reasons. You know, he probably wanted to vote for other people. You only get ten votes. He probably said, you know what, I want to spend my ten votes somewhere else. I know Jeter's going to get in, but you know it's kind of funny when you look at his overall numbers. He he's definitely not a unanimous Hall of Fame numbers guy. He, yeah, he, yeah, right. W what you're saying is like you look at the regular season stats; it's worse than like Mike Trout, than exactly. Ken, Ken Griffey, exactly. than Willie Mays. But um, Travis, another interesting thought that you just kind of brought into my head: 
how do you look at Cal Ripken's career and not say he should be a unanimous Hall of Famer? That's at least my take. I think no, I definitely two MVPs, yeah. uh, a Rookie of the Year, a World Series, nineteen All Stars, uh, just for an extra bonus, two Gold Gloves. Even though we know he was a great defender, just more so than, than those Gold Gloves say. Almost thirty two hundred hits, uh, a very respectable four thirty one homers. Like, who says on their first ballot, I'm going to click no? for Ripken. That makes no yeah. sense to me personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. That's, that's pretty crazy. It's funny and, how some of the voters see it and they're just like, yeah, but you know, he maybe, maybe he just wasn't, you know, he wasn't a popular name. And so he, I'm not going to give him he's a lot not, of love. He's not a first ballot guy. Well, what does a first ballot guy no, mean? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, no, he, he's if, you're a hall of, you're, you're a hall of famer or you're not. And so yeah. to not vote for yeah. him is, is yeah. pretty crazy. But yeah. So, um, I definitely see your pick, honestly, looking overall, if you want the full package for the short top, honestly, Korea, Korea, uh, Ripken reminds me a little bit of Korea a little bit, just because of the power and the defense, what he's able to provide. So kind of I, five tool. I, I definitely see what you see, you know, why you picked him and he was him and Jeter were just such a hard pick in the end. Um, I just, of course, went with, a, you know, went of course with the, with the populator, I think. And then also with the postseason success, you know, five silver sluggers, five gold gloves, five World Series championships, a World Series MVP, Rookie of the Year. Not as many All-Star appearances, but... Uh, I mean, two two legends, two legends for definitely, sure. Definitely, uh, definitely, uh, I think I think the something that always gets brought up for analytics, like Twitter and stuff, is how Jeter, like some of the numbers we don't like his defense a lot, but the gold gloves, it's just kind of funny how like... The, the different yeah. schools of thought can disagree so much about yeah. the same player. It just kind of shows that baseball, there's so many different mindsets and different people's lists they're going to look different and that's just the way it goes and i've seen some lists where people might rank top five ten shortstops of all time and jeter's not even on the list they're right. like I, I don't consider him he, he's and some of them at one exactly exactly so uh crazy to see the schools of thought but of course playing for the new york yankees during that time he's going to get a lot five of rings. love yeah five rings i mean I, I i really compare him to being like the kobe bryant because kobe and him played the same time i mean they literally the, the career started and ended almost the exact same periods of time so kobe's uh, 3p is almost like a year off from from the yankees yeah. early dynasty and then they both won in 09 it's exactly a very very funny comparison. all playing with one team all having a great both five championships you know it's kind of funny how both careers just almost completely mirrored each other yeah. so uh, i guess shaq is mariano yeah <laughs> exactly exactly but uh, it's funny, yeah. Right now, I am at an all Yankee infield right now. So I had Barra, Gehrig, Cano, Rodriguez, and Cheater. You, of course, Ripken, and also Gritch. So a couple Orioles sneaking in there. So it's just an Orioles Yankees infield for me and you so far. But we'll now move to the outfield, Alex. Uh, so many iconic names. I'll go first uh, DiMaggio, Mantle, and Williams. Uh, those are three huge names. Uh, I think anywhere you want to put Williams, you can. You can put him at DH or the outfield spot. Actually, I'll just name the out, the DH too. It's Babe Ruth, of course. You're not going to have uh, a list that's not. You know, you're going to have Ruth, Williams, and Mantle, in my opinion, in these next four categories. Agreed. One hundred percent. So, uh, give me your next four guys, and then we'll discuss if you have any differences. Yeah. So, uh, completely agree. The locks for me are Williams and Mantle, who are in my outfield. I also have Ruth as my DH, but my third outfield spot, I will call Yastrzemski. So we do have a difference there. DiMaggio for you, Yastrzemski for me. I think both have a very good case. Looking at DiMaggio's, or sorry, look, yeah, looking at DiMaggio's career numbers, um, there's a lot to like. He's the, he's the best hitter ever. Come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I Chris Russo says it so too. I think some old school Yankee fans are a little more 
biased towards Dimaggio than even guys like Mantle for some reason. But in my mind, Mantle, for me personally, far superior. Um, I think Dimaggio lost three really key years to military service. Um, that definitely plays a role. He had three MVPs. He might have had one or two more if he was able to play age 28 through age 30. But did not deserve those MVPs. <laughs> uh, I, I will say pretty much every MVP he won, very clearly there was an argument for Teddy Williams instead. Easily. And so with that in mind, but still but still to his credit, two batting titles, a home run, two, two home run titles, two RBI titles, all coming in like these different years. So kind of had a consistent, like good prime scattered throughout. But Travis, um, for me, I think Yastrzemski gets routinely slept on. Obviously, those three years do make a difference, but he still only played 13 years, played until age 36. Yastrzemski was going until age like 43, a 22-year career, I believe, a 23-year career with the Red Sox. Both guys stuck with one team, so they're kind of tied on that front. But I really love Yastrzemski's longevity combined with the peak seasons. I don't know if, in my opinion, DiMaggio does not have a season that trumps the triple crown MVP no, not at all. that uh, Yastrzemski won with a over, over upwards of 190 OPS plus. Uh, the defense was great in left field for uh, for Yastrzemski as well. Of course, DiMaggio, I'm sure a good fielder in his own right. Um, don't have the numbers on that, of course. But uh, yeah, overall, Travis, I think there's a good argument for both. DiMaggio is center fielder, which probably helps in terms of like that positional importance. But give, yep. me, give, me, give me your thoughts on DiMaggio, why you went with him. Yeah, I mean, just being, of course, a 325 pure hitter, uh, almost a 400 on-base career, you know, a 977 career OPS uh, with a 155 OPS plus. I also look at the three years he missed of military service. You know, I, I, it's always fun to kind of play these games of almost what if. You look at, you know, Bob Feller, Ted Williams, so many greats that lost time with military service. Uh, you know, three years, three critical years, 28, 29, and 30-year-old seasons. I mean, these are prime seasons for your career. Um, you know, looking at it, he probably honestly could have finished with 500 doubles, possibly 500 homers, and possibly 2,000 RBIs without being in the military. Um, that right there is iconic. 500 home runs and 2,000 RBIs is a very insane group to be a part of. So uh, I, I definitely look at that as being a good stretch of, uh, of numbers right there. And then, of course, all the other stats too. Three MVPs. Um, I know, of course, we, we those are definitely uh, very, you know, th- there's a guy that, of course, deserved him better. But, you know, I think still, of course, having that to your title, uh, I think it's honestly, I think it's honestly seven top three MVP finishes That's in his career, time, yeah. which is just, of course, you know, you're looking at, you know, it's crazy that a guy like Mike Trout is already doing that stuff right now as well. So um, also being that center fielder for the New York Yankees during kind of that primetime Yankees, uh, you know, squad seasons and all that stuff. So he, of course, earned my vote. Uh, but, you know, Yastrzemski being longevity was, of course, a guy that I was just, again, just insanely looking at as well as a couple other guys that I was looking at too of like okay I could really see this guy going yeah. too because and we still have the, some bench the, spots the to talk peak. about exactly exactly but, but I will say Charis yeah for yeah I think like you said the OPS plus for the career for DiMaggio far superior to that of Yastrzemski but Yastrzemski's peak seasons are the cream of the crop triple crown yeah plus the the years played Charis just to quickly touch on on Mickey and Ted not just want don't want to gloss over them just to kind of lock in how they, they're part of our top five uh, seasons of all time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. That really hammers it home. Uh, three MVPs for Mantle, all of them definitely worth it. Even though he was playing in an era with Ted Williams, he was leading. 
He actually, you know, and also Mays, yeah. He, he led he led a baseball or at least the American League in a lot of stats those years. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, Travis Mantle is in the conversation for best center fielder ever. So of course he's going to make this team right. Five tool all the way through. Um, somehow struggled with injuries and it didn't really matter. He's still one of the best ever. And Williams, Travis, in terms of pure hitting, one of the best ever. So um, Ruth at DH, no comment. Mic drop. <laughs> uh, we can <laughs> Mount probably, Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, Mount Rushmore, of course. We can probably move on to uh, the bench. Yep. yep. That. And so the bench for me, Alex, is guys that you, of course, talked about. I have Yastrzemski, I have Ripken, and also I have Tris Speaker on my bench. I kind of talked enough about Tris Speaker, just an insane uh, period with the with the Red Sox. And then, of course, like you said, I had to – Ripken and Yastrzemski's were, were very tough picks to go for DiMaggio and Jeter. I said, you know what, they're definitely just bench guys because they're they're such good careers. So Yastrzemski, Ripken, Speaker, my three bench guys, who do you got? I went at kind of an interesting way. I went with – so. Tr- <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that, yeah. So, I mean, I'm surprised the names I still left off. I don't have DiMaggio on my bench. I don't have Jeter. Wow. I don't have Jeter on my. You you offended a lot of people. I don't have right Jeter there. on my bench. Sorry, Yankee fans. I mean, Jeter, I can live with. If you're not going to have him on your starting, then you know he's not really going to be a good bench bat. But yeah, you. I think DiMaggio might have offended a lot of people. But so, so speaker is on my team. My bench. Okay. Yep. Um, the numbers speak for themselves. The offense is great. Um, also he could be the pinch runner on my team. Yeah. He's going to be great speed. Yeah. yeah. Um, great defensive sub for for Williams if you want. You know, there's definitely, lots of options with definitely. him. So, anyways, a speaker makes my team. A guy who makes my team, Travis, that uh, is shocking, but I think 100 deserves it. It's Frank Robinson. I didn't think he'd make my squad, yep. Yep. but his time with the Orioles. Um, first of all, he has the MVP season where he led baseball in OPS plus a 198 OPS plus. Uh, I, that was the triple crown year as okay. well. Um, Travis in six years as a Baltimore Oriole. A 169 OPS plus. For me, that's just better than the number that DiMaggio put up. I think it was a 150 something. So even though it's just six years versus like 13 for DiMaggio, I, I'm leaning towards the peak, the prime of mm-hmm. Robinson in terms of just a bat on my bench. I think I'm going to lead towards Frank Robinson for me, just for my money. And then my third pick, Travis, I went with Wade Boggs. Uh, I had, I believe, I just wanted that lefty bat, contact nice. bat. Nice. Um, I think he's going to be a great pinch hitter for my team. And that's the perfect spot for him in my mind. So he's on my bench as well. So my bench is Speaker, Frank Robinson, and Wade Boggs. That's Very my nice. bench. Unconventional. You know, don't have the big names of Jeter and yep. DiMaggio. But I like how we kind of round out my team with that. So. Sneaky guys. No, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That, that's like, that, I mean, the bench is, of course, never going to be wrong. Because it's kind of just like, you know, how could you utilize these guys and where right. they could be. But And it's a huge pool of great players. Yeah. And say we got three more chances to round this team out. Exactly, exactly. So uh, that that pretty much sums up our bench spots. Uh, we'll move now to the starting pitching. Uh, AL East, Alex, very star-studded AL East pitching staff. It's pretty crazy. Uh, it, it's it's really good. Um, I'll let you go first with your five, and then you uh, I'll, I'll rebuttal with mine. Cool. Uh, Clemens has to be here. Pedro Martinez has to be here. Cy Young is on my team. Uh, Lefty Grove is on my team. And Whitey Ford's on my team. That's my five. Perfect. Perfect. Go. Yeah. Uh, four of the guys are the same. One guy's different. So uh, Pedro, of course, uh, how elite he was with the Red Sox. I think, honestly, probably the best prime of all time for a starting pitcher. Roger Clemens. Uh, one guy, one thing I will f- 
honestly mention, Clemens spent two years with the Blue Jays. I was about to say the same thing. Two Cy Youngs in two years. I think it was his two best years, and he would have been the ace on our Blue Jays team. <laughs> he didn't but play it was five just, years. It was, just two, it was just two seasons, and it was possibly his uh, two best. It really bugged me when we were making that list because I was like, this is really upsetting me because Donaldson's he, not going to make it, and Clemens will not Clemens make it. Clemens is like on their war leaderboard. He's like 20th in their career yeah, war. Yeah. He's been there for two years, yeah. and he's like 20th in war. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of insane. But yeah, Clemens, Martinez are definite guys. Cy Young is another guy. Um, I mean, the name's named after him. Uh, Whitey Ford's on there as well. But the last guy that I think that kind of just edged out lefty, he was in my last consideration. I put Jim Palmer. Uh, okay. What he was able to do for the, the duration of playing with his whole entire career with the Orioles, I think it was 19 years, um, I, a sub-three ERA for his career. Really, really like that. Plus, I think just with lefty being an all-timer for the A's and the athletics, uh, I wanted to put Palmer on there just for the the just the yeah durability of being at Oriole and being on one team for the whole entire career. Plus of how elite he was. Um, he was, of course, the Orioles, I think, automatic ace going into our list. So that is my list. Palmer, Ford, Young, Clemens, and Martinez. Pretty similar, but of course, the lefty and Palmer are differences. So Yeah, um, I can't knock the Palmer pick because of longevity. He played so many years as Baltimore Oriole and had overall great numbers. Uh, three Cy Youngs, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, three Cy Youngs, yeah. Um, and I agree. Grove's prime was as a Philadelphia athletic but I just also really love his years in Boston. Four, four different times was the American League uh, ERA title, uh, four times ERA plus title. Uh, his ERA plus as a Boston Red Sox is still up at 143. It's a great number. It's only eight years compared to Palmer's probably almost 20. I don't have the number in front of me, but yeah, 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 19 years, yeah. Definitely more of a workhorse uh, for one franchise than Lefty was. And it was lefties like kind of tail end of his career. So he did pitch age 40, age 41 with not great ERAs. But at the end of the day, I do have a, spot, a soft spot for lefty. And I think the ERA numbers are good enough in an era where there was some great batters in the American League. So he gets my nod uh, for my fifth spot. No, 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 no problem at all. And and, and with, with Jim Palmer too, uh, eight seasons finishing in the top five for Cy Young and seven of them were top three. So uh, I, I wish we had a comparison because... There's no saying voting back in Lefty's day. I'm just trying to go. No, off like it, it, was, it was only MVPs. Exactly. Yeah. There was four years where four years where Lefty got MVP votes, but how does that compare? It's kind of hard. No, exactly. And even looking at 1973, too, a 2.40 ERA for Jim Palmer, 22 wins, uh, almost 300 innings pitch. I mean, I, I'm also looking too at the innings pitch for Palmer. I mean, every season he is coming close to 300 innings pitch, which I, I just find kind of just insanity for what we see nowadays where if you reach 200 innings pitch you're a complete workhorse but back then it's like we're going 100 more innings the complete games were off the charts uh 211 complete games for palmer but just in that prime time of palmer from honestly 1970 to 1980 it was kind of insanity he i feel like was might might honestly be the pitcher of the 1970s if he had to make a starting five rotation palmer could probably be on that list but he's just my guy of course for the durability uh all the way through was a Oriole. And of course with lefty, he, he is a better pitcher than Palmer, but of course we'll have him as an a rather than of course, uh, you know, for the AL East team, AL East team. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I can appreciate the pick. Travis, one guy I want to highlight before I move on. We know how good Pedro was. His prime was elite with the Red Sox. Clemens, there are steroids there, but still one of the best pitchers of all time. 
Cy Young is someone who I feel like doesn't get talked about quite enough. The, na- the award is named after him. Most losses of all time. But yeah, it's like <laughs> he just has such a crazy high volume. Most wins ever. Most losses ever. Most games started ever. Most uh, complete games ever. Innings so pitched, many highlighted stats. Uh, yeah. Allowed the most hits and most earned runs though. So like obviously the volume caught up to him in both a positive and negative way. But Travis, if we're focusing on his Boston numbers, right? We're talking about him as a Red Sox. Some of these numbers are crazy. It's it tells you something about the dead ball era because yeah. the era we're talking about 1901 through 1908. So these are extremely uh, low offensive environments. Yes. But his ERA in 01, 1901 was a 1.62. Then it was a 2.15. Then a 2.08. These are all time low kind of numbers. Then a 1.97, a 1.82. It is going down every year into the ones. And he's and he's age 38. I mean, and then he has one bad year finally, a 3.19, and then two more great years, a 1.99 and a 1.26. There's four different years, five different years as a Red Sox of his eight. He had a below a two ERA. That is unbelievable. And we all know how great he was because they weren't after him. But people kind of, you know. I think I've grown a lot of respect for him looking at his numbers because people talk about Matthewson and Walter Johnson and who are both possibly better careers, but the peak seasons of, of Cy Young, it kind of swept another rug in my mind. And I think some of some of his uh, his workhorse uh, numbers are really incredible. Also with Boston, a 12.5 war season in that 01 season. I don't know if they had MVP back then, but he should have probably won it because he led baseball in ERA with a 12.5 war. It's incredible numbers. Yeah, and even looking at Cy Young, um, most innings pitched of all time, and the next guy up is not even really close. I mean, the next guy up just reached the 6,000 innings mark at 6,003 innings pitch. Cy Young's at 73.56. So Who's second? Uh, it's Bud Galvin. Oh, okay. Bud Galvin, which it's funny to say he only pitched 15 seasons and had 6,000 innings pitched. I mean, Cy Young Bud. is a guy where you look at these stats will never be uh, never be reached again. I mean, you're never going to have 500 wins. You might not. Honestly, you probably will never have 400 wins again. Uh, 300 wins is kind of a number where you become such an elite pitcher to win 300 games. Uh, I mean, that's that's 10 years of 30 wins or 30 years of 10 wins. You know, it's it's you got to have longevity with these kind of numbers. And playing 20 years in the league is something that not many people can do still. So. Charles, this Pud Galvin guy you bring up, uh, I love his picture on Baseball Reference. I don't know if you've seen it. He looks like someone I'd get in a fight with at like an ice cream parlor in like 1890. I like the stash. <laughs> he too. has a sweet yeah. stash and a nice hat. But uh, anyways, Travis, I think that pretty much wraps everything up. Oh, sorry. Closing pitchers. Exactly. I'm know. sorry, Goat Mariano, but we're going to get to you right now. That's right. That's right. Um, so, Travis, I'll just start, out, start us off. Mariano Rivera has to be the ninth inning guy. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. Best closer, closer of all time. The two guys I have setting him up, I included Tom Hankey and Jonathan Papelbon. Okay. There's argument for other guys. Tell me who you got. So I have Mariano Rivera in the ninth. I have Papelbon in the seventh. I have Goose Gossage in the eighth. Oh, I like it. I like it. Never had him, of course, written down. But sometimes I think that these lists, you have to include guys that you did not have for your ninth inning spot. Some closing pitchers, it's it's such a heated battle between so many different great guys. Goose Gossage is a Hall of Famer, an all-time great um, closing pitcher. So I'd include include him in the eighth inning, um, and of course Palbon in the seventh. But 
yeah, I try to be a little bit, you know, sneaky on that end too. Uh, that was definitely how, how great he was. That was definitely sneaky, caught me off guard. And I will say it's <laughs> it, it's probably the better pick over Hanky. Hanky will have more innings pitched in the sorry, more uh, seasons played in the division. But seven seven years as a Yankee. Um, let me see what else. A one seventy nine ERA plus, uh, yeah. two point one four ERA. Um, the, the numbers are just crazy. He a hundred fifty plus saves for the Yankees back then. And of course it was the Yankees, uh, you know, another prime time area of the Yankees Two back. Actually, you know, let me say this again, four seasons, his first four seasons with New York, three of the seasons, he finished in the top five in Cy Young. So, I mean, just getting the votes there for Cy Young awards is pretty remarkable. Uh, I think I think Yankees are for sure his best team when you look at the numbers he had a better ERA with Pittsburgh but that was for one season yeah and nothing else comes close to that 179 ERA plus in New York so not Chicago Cubs unfortunately the Cubs uh, only one year and a below average ERA plus that's why his cards on the Emily the show game for the Cubs I think it must have been his what was it 300 save I assume yeah 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 but at the end of the day, Travis, <laughs> that prime is what we really care about. That juicy prime exactly. in New York was big. I love the pick. Um, I still like Hanky. Hanky is, I think, a really cool, no, sneaky guy, a cool, I- iconic player. But um, talking about prime numbers, Gossage is probably the move there. Um, and Pavel Bond deserves tons of credit. He made both of our, our setup squad. Uh, yeah, Travis, I think that pretty much wraps up the episode. So much talent and so much, so many legends in the American League East. I'm gotta we gotta go over all that. And I think if you had a ranking, like I always ask for uh, oh, yeah, every episode, let's do it. Um, Rays, Blue Jays are definitely the last, <laughs> the bottom yeah, two. Bottom, bottom. Red barrel. Sox, Yankees are definitely the top two, and the Orioles are sitting kind of just pretty in the middle, but a very good team. The Orioles are. It, um, it, it, I don't really have to ask you. Like I kind of know. Like we both know the Yankees are the best, and the Red Sox are the second best. You're making a face, but you know, I think you know. I, I mean, Alex, the only thing I will say is, I, of course, I, I'm big with everything about the game when it comes to defense, pitching, everything. Uh, this Red Sox starting pitching staff, it's it's it is it's re- so it, deep. It is really good. I respect that angle. It's also funny how you have if your five infielders are Yankees as well as your DH but you're right. and no, no, two yeah. of your outfielders. <laughs> if your whole hey, team is Yankees. You know what? Ted, Big Poppy's hitting fourth, and he's going to pick up the slack for a lot of these guys. But no, I mean you're you are kind of getting uh, you know the older Jimmy Fox, but Jimmy Fox, of course, is a top three first baseman of all time. I will add, Travis Fox didn't make either of our benches. He's one of the best hitters ever, but yeah. we both know his best years were with the A's. Exactly, and it'll be fun, of course, ranking uh, when we when we you know in the in the coming weeks we'll start ranking you know all American League teams, and that's where Fox will definitely have his say when it comes to these All-American League teams because uh, he's one of the best hitters of all time. Um, he was definitely a great rival for Gehrig uh, in the 30s uh, and also the early part or the late part of the 20s. But um, no, yeah, the one thing I will say is the Red Sox, just, I mean, the, the pitching staff, I am very, very impressed. The Yankees, I think their best starting pitcher is Whitey Ford, and he, of course, is on our all-time uh, ALE starting five. He's a, but, he's, all, he's, a, he's, a, he's a legit, like, elite hall of fame exactly but of course with you i know you had four red sox guys on the all al east team so Mm -hmm. clemens martinez cy young lefty grove just i mean four elite guys and then of course the offense it's not terrible when you have ted williams and yastrzemski and speaker no it's great it's definitely great you you got you have strengths almost everywhere in the lineup but of course the yankees lineup is it's better it has it has i think it was it was eight right 
eight. Eight. You have eight guys from the Yankees yep. on your position yep. player. Yep. It's eight of my guys. AL so uh, before starting pitchers, so Ted Williams had to break up the. Ted Williams had to come between or come over uh, Reggie Jackson. So yeah, which is I think obviously the, <laughs> the right choice. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Charles, that you know wraps things up. I think we're good to go now. Another finally. Long one. A long one, but not as long. Thankfully, we tried to shorten it a bit, and we did. We were able to do that. Actually, it is getting close, but no, it is. <laughs> it, I think I think we're past the two hour mark, if I'm not mistaken. We folks. are definitely past. But it, yeah. if you if you made it this far, we appreciate uh, your list. You're listening, your support so much. Uh, next week or later this week, actually, uh, at some point this week, we will record another one. We will be probably doing the NL West. NL West, and yeah. then the following week we'll be going NL Central, NL East. And then we'll be through with all the divisions. And then I finally we can focus on like AL team and NL team and who would win there and MLB team. It'll be fun. How, how long is the series going? You know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and folks, we hope there's some more baseball news for you soon. Uh, we love giving you guys, you know, the, the, the juicy hot topics. But um, this has been so far a great way to break up this, um, this uh, what do you call it? Lockout. This boring stretch of non-baseball activities we're, yeah. we're just waiting for a passing tweet to hopefully just say oh who d gordon to the to the triple a nationals let's go i'm just waiting to hear lockout ended universal dh and also we're getting seven playoff teams in every league so i can you know rejoice in that and then angels immediately sign rodon exactly or kershaw exactly but e- either way travis when that news comes we'll be here to give it to the people but for now uh we're enjoying this nice little uh, uh all-time team trend and it'll be continuing later this week. So uh, you have that to look forward to. Uh, thank you so much for made it this far. I will stop rambling now. We will catch you guys later this week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>